To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Uh, I got a new episode of Eastman's Elevated for you. So um, today's episode, I sit down again with Lucas Sterling. Um, Lucas Sterling, we've become friends here over the last year or so, and he came down here to the house and was hunting antelope for a couple days. So we sat down one late night and recorded a podcast, and we just got talking hunting, and we didn't quit. Um, this episode sets an all-time record for Eastman's Elevated, so I think we went over two hours, um, but it's just great conversation. I listened back to it, and there's just nothing that I wanted to cut out or cut out the ending. I just felt like, uh, you know, I was cutting you guys short, so I'm going to release it in its entirety, and you guys let me know what you think, um, but just a great, authentic conversation. We get talking about antelope hunting we talk about late season mule deer which um lucas is really proficient at late season mule deer and i saw that he just harvested another good and heavy uh this season um we also talk about wolf hunting one of the best wolf hunters i know i think he's got eight or nine under his belt including one from this season and he he just works really hard at his hunting he just puts a bunch of miles in and and covers a bunch of country and just creates opportunities always out in the woods but he's just a, a great guy to sit down with that that's discovered the the secret to success um, along with that we talk about Alaska hunting we talk about early season bow hunting there isn't much we didn't talk about in this episode uh, but really good conversation you guys will enjoy today's episode uh, the sponsor for today's show is Yeti coolers. Um, Yeti's just a game changer for me. Uh, it took me a while to buy into the concept of expensive coolers, but once I did, there's no looking back. I mean, those things, they keep your ice so long in there that, you know, now a week-long hunt or a 10-day hunt in the early season, you know, I can keep food cold. I can keep, you know, an, an animal cold if I harvest it. Um, they're just uh, so much... They're better insulated than anything I've ever used. You know, I also like that, you know, not only will they, they keep stuff longer, that when you're camped in the national forest um, and where it has to be a bear-proof container, that those coolers qualify as a bear-proof container when you lock them up. Um, it, it's just an absolute game changer for me. I just love using these coolers and, and so fortunate that I purchased one and was able to get one and start using it. They've also got a, a bunch of other products um, you know, as far as their, their ramblers and their tumblers and, um, you know, which is they've got their cups that, uh, I mean, it keeps my coffee warm all day long. And, uh, so I use them constantly. And then, uh, now they've got their, their thermoses, um, I was really wishing I had one of their thermoses in Ohio, like even the good, the one I was borrowing, but my coffee was cold by about noon, and I know that Yeti would keep my coffee hot all day long, so definitely going to be in the market and purchase one of those, but uh, Yeti, just a a great company. They really support uh, hunting in our industry, and and then they're just coming out with great products and coming out with new stuff all the time, so can't say enough good things about Yeti. Uh, I, I am a Yeti customer for life. So thanks to them for, for sponsoring the podcast. Um, with that, I saw our gear guide came out there for Eastman's, um, some really good items in there for, for gifts for hunters. Um, one of the coolest ones I saw is that, um, they do this promotion where you 
you buy three subscriptions for friends or family, and then you get a free Sitka hoodie, like a $120 value, and then an Outdoor Edge knife kit, which is like a $40 value. So basically, you buy three subscriptions, give them away as gifts, and you get this Sitka hoodie and this Outdoor Edge knife kit, which is worth more than you spent on the three subscriptions. Uh, Really cool promo, so make sure you guys take advantage of that and check out the gear guide. And uh, with that, let's get this thing rolling. Really long conversation. Uh, Me and Lucas Sterling, uh, Eastman's Elevated, a good one. You guys are going to enjoy this one. So uh, check it out. Okay, I'm here with my buddy Lucas Sterling. He's down here antelope hunting with me for a couple days. We're we're into October now, um, but you still had an antelope tag. You you filled your elk tag, and so you came out for a couple days to, to come down and chase some lopes around. Yeah, I figured I'd just give it one more shot, you know, before the general rifle season started. Uh, actually starts tomorrow, so yeah. Yeah. It was fun. I appreciate you having me down here and showing me what's going on in this end of the, you know, state, so... Well, my pleasure. And uh, well, actually it worked out. It was a change of plans. And so, uh, you were actually going to come film for me for three days. I, gosh, I just was trying to squeeze in another three day trip so I could get a bowl down. And so I talked you into filming for me and, and so you were going to come over and film for me. And then I ended up getting a bowl the morning before we left. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was uh, all intentions to go do some elk hunting in the mornings and evenings and maybe hit some antelope hunting on the side. And it just worked out that, uh, you got your bowl that day, and, you know, the last couple of days we were antelope hunting. Well, so. and you were going to give up your antelope trip to come film yep. for me. Absolutely. Yep. So that was pretty awesome. So, yeah, I returned the favor and had to call you that day. You know, when I got that bowl down, I go, oh, I killed a bull, but, you know, let's let's still go hunting somewhere. Let's still go do something. And, you know, I said, you know, we got good antelope hunting around here. You know, the pressure's off. You know, as long as we get it before rifle season opener, you know, we'll we'll be good to go. Yeah, so exactly. we've been chasing them a couple of days. Man, we've had some close calls. They just, those things are tough. Yeah, they are. You know, they like you said, they, they pretty much see 360 degrees and, Anybody that's tried spotting and stalking them, I mean, they know. You know, it's you know un- unforgiving ground. You don't have a lot of cover most of the time uh, where they live, and yeah, it's you know, we like you said, we've been in on them numerous times. Got them within bow range. Just can't seal the deal when we are ready to do it. You know? Oh, we've been stalking so efficiently, and um, but yeah, those things are the ultimate. You know, that you say 360 degrees. I think I heard that they can see like 300 degrees around their head. So unless they're directly facing away from you, they can catch movement out of their peripheral. Peripheral, peripheral vision, yeah. yeah. I can't say sure. peripheral, but yeah. <laughs> yeah there <laughs> so, you go. But they can see it out of their yeah, side vision, you know, and they just catch movement, and they just catch it moving in. So they're the ultimate animal to stalk. I say 360 degrees only because I've literally been straight behind them numerous times and go to go, you know, shoot a range on them and get busted ranging them. That's mm-hmm. the hardest thing. If you can range them and get your bow drawn, it's, it seems like it's money. But the biggest thing for me is getting that range off, you know, like getting that final, you know, you can get in on them, but getting the range off without them looking backwards i've had them looking directly away and actually peek over get one range and had them turn 180 degrees looking right at you Mm -hmm. like there's no way they can see you but they can 
It's yes. weird. Yeah. No, you're right. When you got to come over and range him, that's such a big piece to the game, and it's a it's a big piece to the archery stalking game. Whether you're hunting deer or mule de- uh, mule deer, or elk, or anything out west, like that, getting a good range, and it it always seems like you pick up that one thing of grass like constantly, like three yards, three yards, or you can't get a reading because you're always trying to peek through the grass so you don't expose yourself. Exactly. And, and like we talked today, hat color is so important, and I like. You know, I like even a light color like um, yours was even a little lighter than the grass. But think about this. When you're coming over a ridgeline, you're getting clouds and that white in the background. Yep. And that hat is perfect. And you're always breaking the skyline. Uh, with dark hair, I'm pretty sure that blended in perfect. Yeah. You know. It worked and, better today, didn't yep, it? Yep. And for yep. sure. And another tip I'd like to, you know, touch on is like, you know, how most rangefinders are, you know, top to bottom. You see through the top, the rangefinders in the bottom. I've learned that when you're trying to get that final range and you don't want to like get too exposed over the hill you can actually turn that upside down and get just a little above your eye level to oh, where you can I saw- you, you can you, you have to read it backwards or upside down but it works <laughs> <laughs> i you saw know? you do that today. I, I, I do it and i've done it for a couple of years yeah. and it, it you know it's just that extra three to four inches on the horizon that you can get away oh, from I- I got to you know? play around with that. Yeah. And I, and I, the rangefinder is so important and there's some good brands out there, but I think it's important to have a strong laser too. I think a strong yep. laser, you know, shoots through that grass better and you yep. get a better reading. Uh, let's see what else. Not I, so sensitive. Yeah. Yep. Angle compensating. And, yep. and some of these have a, a first target mode and a last target mode. And I, you know, I, I like a quality rangefinder, but that last target mode allows you to shoot through some things. You yeah, know, which, for sure. Which really, but you're right. The rangefinding is such a big piece. I remember um, I hunted, uh, I hunt, you know, out in this spot out in, in eastern Montana when I'm hunting mule deer. And out there this one day, it, it stormed in and it was all fog and it was snowing. And I snuck out on this wide buck and I got inside a bow range where I could kill him. And I couldn't get a range through the fog. Have you ever had that? Oh, yeah. The thick fog. fog? Um, Thick snow, I've had it happen, yep. thick snow. Where you just, can't get a reading. It just will not pick it up. Yes. Yeah, exactly. You're hunting during the storm, and you can hunt them in it their It all beds. comes back to instinct on that. Oh, man. I, yeah. I, I know. You can guess yardage, and you just got to get close, but man, am I horrible at that. It's it seems tough, like when you know, I do that, that's when my misses come. But. It's, it's very tough, you know, especially from a guy that comes from the northwest where I have timber all around me. You know, my range judgment comes from, like, trees or, you know, just – it's it's just different from coming over here and mm-hmm. trying to judge open land stuff. It's just a different field of view. It's it, they they actually are you know further than what they look half the time. So it's 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 tough. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, rangefinders are definitely. Oh, they're if my. If you're not game. used to it, you, you, yeah, you almost got to well, have one. Well, and sometimes opportunities come really quick, and you have like any time I'm stalking in, I'm always trying to range a tree and range of this and a range of that. So I kind of know what the yardages are. And then, you know, like you said today, when we set up on those antelope, you hit a couple different bushes and said, yeah, that's, that's right at 60 right there. And that's right. You know, but having those yardages kind of help you with judging yardage, but yeah, I mean, it's tough. I mean, I, uh, sometimes your opportunities come so quick that if you don't get the shot right then and there without ranging, you don't get the opportunity exactly. where you just get them to freeze for a second. And so sometimes it's necessary to try to guess that yardage. And if they're close inside 40, you can usually get it right, but I am horrible at it. That's yeah. usually where my See, misses come from. The thing I like to do is, you know, when I get to that final moment where I'm like, okay, it could go either this way or this way. I try to, you know, really pick up on doing one range, whether it be a, the antelope, which you probably aren't going to get, 
or just something little like a, a bush or a dark spot in the grass just to kind of give you a just a, a basic feel of how far that is. Mm-hmm. That way, if you do come across or he moves into the direction you want, then you can kind of judge it from there, and you already know that range. So I just kind of try to pick up that, you know, yeah. just a quick pick it up and throw it down. Even if you have to move a little bit, you, you kind of know what. Yep. I mean, with the speed, you know, I, my arrows weigh 450 grains and they, they differ, you know, every year I kind of make small adjustments, but I just get so much drop in that short draw length of mine, 27. It's like, I almost got to know the exact yardage or be within a yard or two, or I don't get them. I miss them, you know, cause I've got so much fall to my arrows. Exactly. And so, yeah. gosh, I just do so much better when I just really try to get the range. And when yep. I have the range, I know they're dead and I don't like missing either. You know, it, yep. it rattles your confidence. You know, I don't like shooting shooting arrows and not hitting and then you're second guessing things and oh it was the range and I should have known better and next time I'm going to take my time and play this whole redemption game and so like I just love to have a good range if I can that's it's, number it, one it is closing yeah. if you have a good range on anything it's closing I mean it's when you shoot a lot you know it's money yep you know, there's That's no exactly second right. guessing. Yep. It's just, it is what it is and you're done. And, and so the buddy hunting is super effective. Like you would think on stocks, like a solo guy going on a stock is the most effective. And sometimes it is when you really got to watch your noise, when you're stalking a mule deer in his bed and it's quiet out, you know, sometimes that is the best way, but man, I stock good with buddies, you know, especially buddies that have a lot of Western experience. But so we buddy stocked and I tried to, to film the, the antelope hunt, um, and, and so um, there just there was only one time when I when I forgot to press the record button or double tapped it or something. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? Uh, yeah. As a camera guy, you will do that more times than none. Yeah. <laughs> well, not really, but it it happens. But I I would also range find for you. Yep. And like, how important is that? Like, you get to skip a step when you're just the shooter and you got the other guy that's going to take a range for you, or you can just draw back and come up and over and range finders over your back shoulder, like giving you a reading or yeah, he spooks out and you're at full draw. Like it's such an advantage. Exactly. It is, you know, just that skipping that extra step having your release on your bow when it really matters Mm -hmm. is huge. Mm -hmm. It it really is. So you're exactly right on that. Yeah. Well, and, um, yeah, I, it, it worked good this week. I mean, we had some close calls. Gosh, we had, we were 45 from a buck last night and the doe just picked us off because she was 20 right as you were drawn back coming over the top and antelope just catch you. Like, you, you think about coming over and you're caught, you know, but they're the ultimate for improving your stalking game. It was, it was money last night. You know, if that doe, like we always say, if this and if that, but if the doe went to spooked, I, I was settled in perfect. I just needed about two more seconds, but she spooked, seen us come over the top and, of course, like antelope, once one goes, they all go. Mm-hmm. It's just a, it's just the name of the game. Yep, we had another one at forty yards that walked into us, and it was our first go at it. And we were around the tree and tracking him, and all of a sudden he was right on top of us. You were still knocking an arrow as he came around the corner, and then it you happened know, fast. Yeah, I just froze. Like I thought him looking at us, and we had such good cover. I thought he's going to forget about us and put his head back down and start feeding, and then we're going to shoot him. And so it was just a stay still scenario, you know. And we sat there and tried to let our camo do our work, but those things see so good. Like uh, he just had us picked off, and eyes. like 
you know, in, in hindsight, we thought maybe, you know, maybe I should have got a range and you should have tried to draw slowly and see if you could have get back, getting your bow back and, and get a nice shot on them. But, you know, the truth is, is those things are just going to beat you a lot of the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, even at 40, 50, 60 yards, if they're looking at you, they will see you blink. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's, a, it's a stare down. It yep. really is. Mm-hmm. You know. So, yeah, we had that one. We had another one feed into us at 55, and it's going right of the tree. It's going left of the tree. It's going right of the tree, and you kept swinging around oh, that yeah. tree back and forth, hidden, you know. I was I, shaving branches off with my broadhead <laughs> <laughs> every time I'd switch. Right? I was like, oh. okay, left, right, left, right. Oh, man, and that thing just came in, and, and I think maybe caught our wind or maybe you know, caught movement. or The wind was uh, the wind was definitely wrong on that I, one. I was a lump on a tree, too. I, I, I mean, was, it could have been that. I was a lump in an anthill. Uh, Covered in ants. Oh, I got ants. bit on my neck, bit <laughs> on my hand, and oh, it just yeah. had to stay frozen. Yep, it was hard. You yeah. know, when you got about 300 ants on you, red ants, it's not fun. <laughs> Trying to keep things, your composure yeah. and not move at 50 yards. These things you know? are evil, too. They oh, just yeah. bite down on you. Just like the moment they're on you, they're trying to chew through you. Well, they you. bite, and then they don't let go. <laughs> I know. They just stay there like a little crab. Yeah. Oh, man. I had that same thing going. But, yeah, some close calls. I mean, fun hunting always. So just couple days of action-packed, rifle season. Guys will be out trying to get them with a rifle. It's a special tag for those guys. So we'll probably let those guys hit it for a little bit. And you know, Who knows? Maybe get after them late. I think your tag's good till November. Yeah, or... in mid-November, you know. Yeah. Uh, like I said, uh, it starts tomorrow, rifle hunting. But, you know, I'm going to go to the end. Yeah. I'm well, going to throw my orange on. I'm going to hit her. Yeah, good for you. Just, I, throw your I orange on, hunt with your bow, and you're going to get exactly. an Exactly. Yep. yep. Yeah, well, it gets, it gets better after – opening day because opening day rifle antelope everybody's so excited and so they get out there and, and they hunt them hard but then general deer and elk opens up and yep. so everybody kind of forgets about antelope you know and then it's good hunting and you can go out with orange and go kill one find them in the spots but um yeah and you've been really successful on antelope you hunt them around oh, yeah. your place so you're northwest montana you don't have antelope you know in your basin or in your town where you live and so you drive about three hours is your closest yeah antelope. about three hours is about the closest uh, you know, you get on that eastern front, and, and you know there's antelope scattered across the plains. But yeah, mm-hmm. we got a few spots that are three, four hours away. Mm-hmm. But you know, not quite the numbers is down here, but they're still there. Mm-hmm. You know, well, and you've harvested some good ones too. I, yeah, I looked know, like last year's one was a really good antelope. Yeah, really if I good. Remember, right? Yep, for sure. It was a really nice buck. Um, I've actually been uh, pretty successful in that area uh, with my son, and you know, just go out there, spot and stock, and get her done just like we're doing here oh nice you know just how old's your son uh he's 10 years old oh perfect yep he just scurries right along right behind me actually hides right behind me the whole way so you know when he gets of age to hunt he's gonna have her figured out pretty good I think. is he this year on the mentorship program yeah or? the apprenticeship he gets to hunt this year he harvested his first uh big game animal this spring which was a black bear uh-huh. um and now he gets to hunt deer and antelope and wolf oh. this this fall. So oh, yeah, killer. You guys are starts, pumped. Yeah, it actually starts in just a few weeks. Uh-huh. And he loves it, huh? He oh, loves being out in the woods. Loves it. Oh, how yep. cool. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that's what hunting's about is, is family and friends and spending time out. And, you know, just like having you out and laughing and, and uh, cruising around and getting oh, a yeah. bunch of stocks and messing up here and there and everywhere. Yeah. Like, it's, it's just fun, you know. And I sure appreciate you, you know, coming down and going to video for me. And so it oh, just worked sure. out. And yeah. we switched positions and uh, you're antelope hunting. And, you know, and gosh, we were close. Go with the flow. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, elk season was good. You killed an elk. Yeah, no, I got a nice big six point. You know, I shot that September 9th, but it was 
super early, you know, usually they're not kicked up about till about the 15th, but yeah, it was a, it was a good hunt. Mm -hmm. I uh, got in on the bull uh, early that morning, bugled him in, you know, probably 150 yards. I watched him come off the hill in a big burn and uh, he just, he, I thought he hooked a cow is what happened, but he ended up just getting bored and taking off, went up over the top of the mountain. So I circled around, got in there. I heard him bugle one more time. You know, this by now it's, you know, 10 o'clock in the morning. Usually they should be bedding down by now. And he was above me about a half mile. And I heard a wolf like two miles away howling. I'm like, okay, this is done. So I, I immediately switched over to wolf mode, you know. You know how I am. But uh, so I tried calling that thing in, and I didn't hear the elk for half hour, 45 minutes. And the wolf didn't come in. You know, I figured I'd eat a sandwich, sit on the road. Maybe he'd come flying down. Who knows, you know. I'm just going to play my odds. And uh, went went walking back around the draw where the bull was up above, and he had moved down probably half the distance. And uh, he let out a bugle just out of nowhere, and I'm like, oh, okay. So it's pushing 11 o'clock now, right? So I was thinking to myself, you know, he didn't come in with the bugles this morning. He, he came in, but he just directly went away. And uh, so I thought to myself, you know what, I'm going to throw out some cow calls. So threw out a cow call, instantly bugled. And I'm like, okay, he wants, you know, he wants to play a little bit. So the wind was going straight up the mountain, right up towards him. So I hooked up to the right, got ab above an equal ground of him, and hit a few more cow calls, and he just crashing right in. Dropped right below me 30 yards and made the shot. It was perfect. Oh, so, how cool. Yeah, it just happened out. It was super late in the morning. You know, it was just a – I was heading back to my rig, and it just happened. Oh, it's so know? intense. Yeah. Um. So so you call a bunch to them. Like, they call pretty good in those areas. And so you're looking for a response at first for that thing to acknowledge that you're there. And, and then you did a smart thing of moving around them and getting that equal ground of them. But you're also, like, you're a cow moving. You know, you're not just stationary making a setup down in the bottom and calling and calling. You're, you're calling very little. You call, locate, and then you moved up to get that wind right and to get the same position. But you're also like a cow moving up the mountain, which seems, you know, normal for him. It's like, oh, there she is. Now I'm going to come see what she is. Exactly. You know, like I said, I tried calling him in. He really didn't want nothing to do with a bugle. I'm pretty sure at this point that he was alone. So, you know, what's a bull alone going to do in September? Okay. He's looking for cows. In my mind, is this is what I was thinking. So do you get a so, feel for what call they like? So you know, like you're trying to bugle, a cow call, you're seeing what they respond to? Exactly. Yep. You know, I, I probably harvested 95% of my bulls strictly on bugling. I, I rarely cow call. Oh, wow. You know? I used they, to cow call a bunch of them in yeah. more so than bugling. Yeah. Huh. Uh, most of my stuff is, you know, from bugling. I, I won't even touch a cow call. Now, on the other hand, some do like cow call more than others, but I found that the earlier cow call works when they're looking. But, you know, if you, if you put yourself in their shoes, a, a big herd bull or a bull with cows, he's not going to really want to come in and just take a cow, you know, if he's already got cows, if he knows there's a bull big one too, right? So I try to step on their toes a little bit. I try to act like a satellite bull wants to come in, you know, a new satellite bull wants to come in and, you know, maybe challenge. A lot of times they'll take off running, but... Like you said, persistence pays off usually. Oh, that makes sense. And so to threaten their herd is to call in the herd bull. Like a herd bull doesn't want to come into cow sounds. He's, he's, he's already, already got, got his cows. He's already got a bunch he's of cows. Set. So you get in tight, challenge that bull, and then he comes to come run off that bull or chase him out of there. Exactly. You know, or the opposite, he takes all his cows and gets out and of there. And takes off running. Yep. Exactly. That's what, you know, I, I called 
tons of bulls in, but I had that happen like on the bigger herd bulls to where I'm just like, no more, never again. I'm not touching any of those things. I'm spot and stalking these things like they're a mule deer and antelope. <laughs> you know like what? I'm just and I change my tactics and that's the way I've been killing elk is just spot you, and stalking. You can them. never treat a single bull the same as the last one. Uh-huh. They're always different. They always you know, one likes cow call and one likes bull. And it's uh, timing, bugling. like you got to catch the right timing. Not every yep. bull reacts unless he's you know rutted up and he's bugling a bunch. And so you know a lot of it's timing too. To where I was just like I'm I'm not going to play the timing game. I'm yep. not going to play it. like. And I love engaging in the rut and just being in and spot and stalking them when they're calling and trying exactly. to move in front of them. Never let them know you're there. Like I like that approach, but you yeah. know it, it all works. In like, Northwest Montana, there is little to none spot and stalking for elk. I yep. mean, it, it's so thick up there. It's like a you got to hear him it's calling. A, it's a needle in a haystack. Gotcha. You know our numbers are very low. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're just—it's tough. Yeah. You you can't sit back and glass a hillside, you know, and expect to see an elk. Gotcha. You could spend two months doing that and yeah. never see one. Well, and I think a guy's a better hunter when you can you can use all tactics too, yep. like not just get stuck in your ways one way or another. Yep. Now up in your country, it sounds like that's the way you got to get them. And that's the way you got to find them. But kinda even adapt for me, like, like you say, every elk is different. And, and believe me, I'm not saying my way is, is better than another way. Like we all just find our paths through the country we hunt. And I like hunting open elk country. I mean, I, that's where, that's where I hunt. Yeah. A bunch. You know, I just always stick with things that work. I never change it up. <laughs> yeah. You know, if I, if I know it works, why change it up? Yeah. Oh, the biggest bulls of the year are killed with a call. I mean, who am I to yeah. say? You know. Well, it, I mean, it's, it's tough spot, spot stock too, though. You know. Yeah. But it just doesn't. It doesn't. My my kind of hunting and country up where I live, mm-hmm. where I like to hunt, mm-hmm. for the most part, doesn't offer the spot and stock type deal. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, just, well, and less pressured bulls call in better, too. Yeah. When you can make it to less pressured bulls. And in your country, like you say, in that thicker timber where they're tough to locate and you don't get a lot of plays, like they don't get hunted, you know, a bunch every season. They're not spooked 10 different times by 10 different hunters, you know, and so they rut naturally up there. And, the, of course, the wolves have had a, had an effect up there, you know, how much they yeah. call and how they act. I You know, at least I would think. I know around it's, here we had that effect. It's definitely changed it. I, yep. I used to go out up where I harvested this one. Um, I'd get four, five, six, seven, eight bulls in one morning bugling, you know. And now you go in these same areas and you might hear one, maybe. But you're eight, ten miles back in on foot, mm-hmm. you know. A lot of the low country gets hit hard. I mean, the guys, you know, they'll two, three miles hit it pretty hard, but for the most part, those bulls stay up high, the big ones, you know, mm-hmm. they, they don't come down. Yeah. So Yeah, it's just so wild and I love you know, every place is different, every place hunts different, and it's good to immerse yourself in as many different places as you can yeah. to hunt. Like I think the more tactics that you can employ and the you know, just the better hunter you you become, you know. You so, can never ever have enough game in your arsenal. Yeah. You know, you gotta be the most diversile yeah you know versatile like, yeah yeah exactly i mean from northwest montana to eastern montana to rock you know like, so di- diverse yeah. that you know you you gotta implement different tactics everywhere you go yeah. yeah no and i i think you know when you can figure an area out and what works in there you know that's that's when you're learning i the, yeah. the more a hunter can adapt and evolve and overcome and and how many times like you you expect things to happen in a, on a hunt and you expect it to be tough um, but it's always tougher when you get there. And I think being successful on a hunt is being able to adapt to that, 
that yep. hunt. Exactly. You know, even when you're up calling, adapting to that bull that won't call back or exactly. adapting to tough conditions, adapting to, to snow or rain or whatever it is. But, you know, being able to adapt during a hunt, that's a key to success. It is a key. And just like we talked about on our first podcast, um, being successful is, if, for me, if I go into the woods and I get a bull bugling or, you know, or whatever, get a wolves howling, if I kind of challenge myself, if I don't pick up something that's just a little bit different from what I did last time, a little bit uh, more unique, you know, like I said, pay attention to detail. Mm-hmm. I, I always challenge myself to learn something new on how they act or what they do or, you know, yeah. what drainage they go up or just kind of how they, how they, you know, come in or how they exit, you know? Yeah. And then you, and you can put all that in your, uh, your arsenal and then the next time it might help you okay this bull just took off this way where is he going to pop out you might see the same kind of country the same kind of contour and you might slip around and give him the slip you know so it's just pay attention to detail and oh you're so right yeah um you know trying to learn every time you're out and you know we talked about it during the hunt like uh putting your ego aside and trying to figure out what really went wrong you know was it was it me moving here was it this doing this or how did the animals exit but anything you can learn from and store in your memory bank and and call upon next time that's what builds a hunter's instincts and a hunter's instinct is what tells you to stock up this creek bottom or stock around the edge or you know to wait and be patient and go back that's all instincts and it's all from experience but you got to learn from it every time and then that just stores in your memory bank and eventually you make the right call and we uh we had add this week so (laughs) yeah i'm pretty sure that went the opposite direction of what should have happened (laughs) yeah so uh total add we'd uh stock in these antelope and you're just trying to you're never stalking recklessly but you're you're trying to get away with everything you can get away with and different approaches and here this doesn't work five minutes here this this way you know and three different times we were set up where the animal w- walked to or where the antelope walked to and we tried to circle around and get a different angle and shoot one and we had that happen if tonight. we would have waited 10 minutes on every single one of those they would have been sitting in our laps oh my gosh so but it's hindsight you know it's it, just it hindsight is, is. is 2020 you can look back and go i should have done this or i should have done yeah. that but you can do the opposite and say that at too. The, at the time of the you know at the time when we were thinking okay we need to be over here they were thinking they need to be over where we are, you know? Oh, man. So, yeah, we had these antelope tonight, and we were right below the bench on them where they were headed, and they were feeding by us, and they were maybe 100 yards, but at any point they could turn towards us. And then they bedded down, and they were 125 or something like that. And so we made this huge couple-mile circle all the way around them, came down the bench to find out that we were the exact same yardage from them about 100 yards away from them oh, bedded. Yeah. And they stood up and they walked right to the bench where we were exactly. like the whole time. And in and, and that time, you know, we were patient. We said, you know, let's not run around. They're just going to turn around, go the other direction. With yep. So we sat there and we just waited and just watched and we let them feed over the edge. And as soon as they fed over the edge, then we were a jog to that edge to go oh, catch it was a, up. It was a sprint. It, it was, And it was perfect. We came over the top and there they were. You saw them in the shadows. And when you're coming over those ridge lines, it's just like you, you walk kind of hunched over and then stand up just super slow and you're just looking and scanning everywhere and like one of the lessons i've learned this year is really look to the side like you think that bull's right there
there, but there can be another bull to your left or another cow. Exactly. Or just scan to your side so you don't get busted coming over that skyline. But we we came over perfect on him. You you drew. I came up, tried to get a range for you right there. He was inside fifty, and he ended up busting out. Yeah, um, you know yeah, when you're just, when you're stalking over a hill like that, and the sun's on your back, it's just basically you're a, you're a black object going into <laughs> just a black bright, death coming yeah, over the skyline. Just, it's just, you're like you're so exposed, you know. Yeah, yeah for sure. You know when you're when you're on equal or better ground and there's no shadows behind you, you know you got one thing. You know that's it's a little bit different when they're looking yeah. into the sun, but when you're you're popping up like that, it's just like you know. If if they're looking at you, it's game over. Yeah, Black Death, just yeah. Grim Reaper coming over yeah, the top, just, just like, Shadow here, Man. Here we go. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, and and on elk too, I really learned that lesson. You know, you, you I find elk like and and finding them is a challenge, and then when you find them, you get a stock and you get a play. Like this is what the whole season's for, and you get to move in on them. And and wind is so important, and it's like a, what the wind's doing on your squeeze bottle is nothing what it's doing on the hillside. Like exactly. you have to read draws and hillsides and dominant winds and thermals, and like I overthink the world of what the wind's doing. But getting that wind right, I mean, on, on mountain elk. God, that's a huge part of killing them. Exactly. You know, and the and the biggest thing I've found on that, and I don't have a lot of experience. I've actually never tried to spot and stalk an elk, but I, I kind of think of them as, you know, antelope or high country mule deer or any kind of big game animal that's of age. You know, they, they do the kind of the same habits is usually when you can spot something and he's looking a direction and has his back faced a different direction, usually the wind is at his direct back so you can kind of you know if you don't know what it's doing on on the other hillside because thermals work pretty crazy it could be going down the draw here and up the hill over here you know but i've found most of those deer elk and antelope bed with their backs to the wind almost always so whatever way their nose is pointing that's which way the wind is blowing for the most part. How so, interesting. Like so I see can, them bed different directions, but you're saying like the majority of them, if you look at them and they're all bedded to the left, like there's a good chance that that wind's coming from the left. It, from from almost, it's it's almost spot on on the mountain. Wow. You know, the mountain mealies oh, that I cool. hunt. They, even if it's like straight down the mountain, if they're on a cliff and the thermals are going up midday, they're on that cliff looking straight up the mountain. Almost every single time. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I haven't. And and they'll get up and kind of move around a little bit every uh-huh. hour or so. But it's just you know huh? if you, if you see them over there and, you, and you, they're pointing a direction, all odds are that the wind is going the direction that they're looking. From what I've found. Yep. Oh wow! So they're nosed into the wind or nosed away from the wind. Nosed away from the wind, so oh, wow. they can basically smell everything coming behind them, and see everything that's coming downwind because they can't smell, you know. Okay. So, uh, you know what I'm saying? Oh, so they, how interesting. Yeah, I haven't picked up on that. I'll have yeah. to pay attention when I'm out of field. Yeah, so if they're looking, look they, they, you know, uh, an animal, smelling is their key, right? So they can basically, they don't need to look where they smell. So everything coming from behind them, you know, and then they can see everything coming downwind from them. Okay. So it just kind of gives them that extra edge. Gotcha. So I like to, uh, my approach is coming at a 45 degree angle, be equal ground, you know. And then you're usually pretty good, but mm-hmm. that's kind of the things that I picked up on. Yeah, well, in every scenario is different how you want to approach and how you want to attack. Like sitting back and really thinking about it, and you know that's where those instincts take over. Just yep. like I think I can make that, or I think I can make that this, and and you 
like I, I always say, never stalk recklessly, but you just don't make any mistakes. If you're going to skyline out or you're going to expose yourself, you don't do it. No. If you think I can make it across this little opening, don't do it. Like anytime you go across there and you get busted enough times where you go, okay, I'm not walking across there. I'm not going to make the same mistake again, you yep. know? And so seeing that, but just not making any mistakes and keep playing the game and moving around and yep. not letting them know you're there. And, and stalking unspooked animals is so much easier to kill them when they're just feeding and they're not worried about danger. And when they're on high alert, you know, that's when that's when it's tough to move in or, yeah. or get any place. So you got to know when to, to freeze too and just stop. Yep. Every time they Be pick relaxed. up their heads or every time they look at you and just let them go back relaxed and feed. But and we worked around these antelope, you know, the last couple days, you know, like clockwork. That's what that's what we do. Move around one approach, then the other, and then they'd come where we were. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, and another tip for like uh, deer and elk, I'm not sure so much on the elk, like I said, but for high country mule deer or even low low land, I've found that if you like antelope, if you pop straight up, they are ten times more likely to see you than if you try to get some kind of structure draw your bow back like where i live there's a lot of trees right so if i'm in it tight at 10 or 15 yards i'll get behind a tree i'll come up behind that tree and then i'll slowly move one inch to the right of that tree so side movement is a lot less recklessness i guess if what you want to call it than going up and down there's so much you got to move two or three feet up to get a shot rather than one inch over from a tree. Oh, I like it. Yeah, and you, when you're coming up and over, you, you just got to expose your whole self it's, over. It's, to, it's everything. Yeah, you're, you're, and, and half a, your body's showing. You know. So, so if you have the chance, you stalk from the side or you use a tree to break you up. So that way yeah. you're standing straight up and you slide to the side of it. Exactly. I gotcha. Yeah. And, and skyline is necessary in some places, some in places, some yep. instances, like every scenario is different. Exactly. And so you don't know, sometimes coming over the top is the only answer, but if you can scoot around the side, you know, even around the side, sometimes you're still skylining yourself. Exactly. And that's like, people always wonder why I have all those light colors like that white. It blends in with the white clouds and yep. you seems like every shot you have, you have to expose yourself some way yep, and a lot sure. of times it's up and over or around where you're just showing yourself where you got the clouds for background yeah for sure no you know besides antelope for the most part you, you usually have structure to work with whether it be a sagebrush or whatever you know mm-hmm. um usually deer and stuff like that they'll bed in shade shaded areas you know they like to be out of the sun um but uh yeah so if anytime you have any kind of structure it's better to come up on, be, behind that structure and move to the right or left of it just like just it. just a little bit you know mm-hmm. it, it all it takes is just a few inches mm-hmm. rather than two feet well and there's there's so much in that detail of getting your your bow drawn back and coming over the top and it's something that's learned time and time again it's it, it it's some it's another thing that's learned through experience that's it it's your instincts and i i notice like i you know, you, you hunt with a lot of different guys at different skill levels and like just how you move in that close proximity of an animal can be the difference between getting a shot and not. And it's everything is super slow when you're in tight like that. Exactly. And, and um, you know, if you can if you can shoot them when they don't know you're there, that's, you know, then your money. But a it's lot money. of times they have you picked up. That's exactly. when you have to shoot. And it, it's about drawing slowly, bringing your bow up super slowly. You know, anything you do is slow like the hands of a clock. And that, and, and that is exactly right. If you – my biggest tip for anybody that's trying to do this spot and stock thing – I would recommend pull your bow back and 
practice all year long holding it back for five minutes. <laughs> Seriously, because if you if you spawn stock something and you do it super slow and you pull back, you're gonna have your bow back for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, if if you can't hold it back, you find yourself wanting to rush things. And that's where that's you know, you spend all this time trying to spot and stock this thing two, three hours, and then at the final moments you're trying to rush it because you want to get that shot. Mm-hmm. You well, just really gotta slow down and just and Make bulls right. calling in, like, how big of a deal is that? Yeah. Like, getting your bow drawn. Like, you, a lot of times, you know, they're coming in and they're pins and needles and they're looking for that cow or that bull so they can chase them off so they catch any movement. So you can't draw when they're looking at you, so you draw when they're coming behind a tree. And, like, exactly. my, my buddy Janus had to hold his bow forever as that bull walked with his vitals behind the tree, staring right at us, screamed a bugle, and then finally walked out after a couple minutes of holding his bow. Sometimes you get caught like that, you know. You, you know, you draw back, you think they're going to walk through, but they stop at the wrong moment, and it is what it is. You're at full draw, and you find yourself sh- sitting there shaking, you know, and they're looking at you. But it, at that point, it's a stare down. It, you just try not to move and don't call, and they'll just keep walking usually yeah. for the most part. Oh, man. Yeah. But, I but mean, holding your bow back and just really, you know, you could shoot a million times, but if you hold it, you know, it's it's different when you just hold it there. Yeah. And try to try to build those muscles and lock it in. I've got my shot sequence, but strength in that position is key. Whether you're holding your bow for an elk to walk by, whether you're, you know, just trying to pull back slow, like takes a toll on you. Yeah. And, and then like you're shooting from awkward positions. So you're trying to hold your bow at awkward positions. Yep. And then sometimes you have to hold longer than you want to. And then also I noticed that your pin doesn't settle very good on animals, you know, like it doesn't settle like on the target yep. and not that you have to fight it there but you have to make sure that pin is sitting there floating on that animal and so you know you can't shoot until that thing's floating right in the spot and so sometimes i got to give myself an extra second just calm down my aiming as it's you know going all over the body as i need to rein it in to the spot i want to hit and okay pull pull and then it goes off you know exactly but you know and another little tip for like elk hunting when you're calling a man um is you know have your bow straight up you know straight forward right where you're not going up and down with your bow so basically you, you already have your bow in shooting position yeah you're already pointing waiting. at exactly. your target or where you're so, going to get the so shot so you have one movement it's not it's not bring your bow up and draw it's straight back which that movement to an elk looking back is basically zero mm-hmm. you know and if you can do it slow there there yep. your chances of getting caught are very little yep oh man absolutely yeah, there there's so many, you know, little little tidbits that help you out, like in that red zone or in that crunch or trying to get drawn. And, you know, sometimes the animal doesn't know you're there. And that's, I mean, that's so killer when you get that scenario, like on high country mule deer and they just feed out, you know. And I like to let them make the last move, you know. But yep. when they just feed out and don't know you're there and you're able to put a good one in them. But, yeah, there there's so many little details to, to get in that shot that I think it makes a big difference at your opportunities. And the better you get at it, the more opportunities you get to, to send arrows. And if you're sending arrows, you're, you're killing critters, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Just, you know, patience, it, it all pans out. Oh yeah. Patience. That's patience ADD. And, <laughs> yeah. Patience and persistence. Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> I had way more persistence than patience. Yeah. But, persistence. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and, and we just had a bunch of those antelope go to where we were sitting and where we were set up. But, 
you can't guess where those things are going. Like you, you say, yeah, they might come at us, but they could go dead away from us or dead to the left or dead to the right. Or So you're just trying to make a play and you're trying to get a close encounter. And when you see an opportunity where you're not going to spook them and you can get in close, you you got to try to send it and go for them. Yeah, for sure. No, I haven't really, you know, I've only spot and stalked antelope when they were bedded. I've never tried to like, okay, I'm going to cut them off, you know, like we did this weekend. We're mm-hmm. going to cut them off and try to look where they go. From what I learned this weekend, and like I said, I always like to learn about different scenarios and different stuff, and I always keep it in the back of my mind. But uh, an antelope is like a – it's like what, what do you call those, the, the little ping-pong things? It's <laughs> yeah. like a, you, you, they go left, and you're like, okay, he's going to come out right here. And as soon as you think you or say that, he's going right. And then he's going directly away from you. And then he's coming straight back at you. So it's like – All those things wander around. You know – Honestly, from what I've seen on that, you just look away and just hope he falls in your lap. <laughs> <laughs> Caribou are the same way. You, know, they they just, just, you never know. They just, okay, they're coming direction. at you. No, they're going away. No, he's coming at you. And then that ADD sets in. They're like, okay, I got to get over here. Yeah, and you get over there, and then they crossed right where you were. Exactly. At least three different times. But we had our close encounters. We had them under 60, so oh, many yeah. times. We had I mean, plenty of opportunity to make a shot, at, you know, and some good shots. But, you know. It is what it is. Yeah, it's antelope hunting. Those things just bust you too in those last little moments, you know. And and you didn't do anything wrong. Your stalking skill no, was game on. I, I was full draw on a couple of them, you know. Yeah. They just didn't give me the opportunity to have one more second, and mm-hmm. they would have been, you know. Oh, that's the truth. Yeah, those things. Yep. Um, sometimes it's easy. Sometimes it's tough. But they teach you a lot about hunting, and they make you better at, at every facet of it, like whether it's deer or elk, you know. And, and they all have their qualities, and, and it's just fun to immerse yourself, like, in, in different places on, on planet Earth and go exactly. try to be successful. And whether it's antelope in open country or caribou up north or, you know, whatever it is, My it's fun. philosophy on the whole antelope thing is, is if you can spot and stalk an antelope in open country in his element— you're gonna get on. You're gonna get in on anything mm-hmm. in any different cover. Yeah, those things are the most key on their vision. They got scent. They got hearing. You know, it's it's usually dry where they're at. If you can get in range with a bow on those things, you pretty much got the rest of the high. I use it to sharpen my high country skills for you know deer and Absolutely. elk, whatever. But you know, it's I love hunting them because it's so challenging to spot and stalk them. Mm-hmm. In their world, you know. And they'll wind you, but the wind is fairly consistent in the prairie. It's yeah, a, it is. At least a is. lot more consistent than it is yeah. in the mountains. You don't get those See, breezes, but. Yeah, exactly. I play thermals where I live, you mm-hmm. know. The sun comes up, or, you know, the, the thermals are going up the mountain, unless there's a storm coming in. Yep. So as soon as the, the sun touches the hill and warms it up, the wind's going straight up. Okay, at night in the evenings when the sun goes down, everything's moving down the mountain. That's down right. Down the creek bottom. So I play those thermals where. Over here, eastern Montana, or you know, you got to play just a, a direction of wind. There's no thermals. There's not like you know. Sometimes it swirls and goes back and forth, but for the most part, it's it's a one direction yeah, thing. Yeah, in the prairie, you know? it's more directionals. Yeah. Where in the mountains, you're playing a lot of thermals. Yeah. Yep. And and sometimes you're playing both and trying to read them. And, and exactly. the thermals get tricky too. Like when they switch over in the morning, and it it exactly like you said, is it warms up in the morning because right away in the morning the thermals are coming down. Exactly. And you get well, they come it, down all night long. And I've had a lot of guys ask me, how do you play the thermals? You know, different scenarios. I mean, you can do it from Colorado to you know wherever it's the heat you know to the cold it's 
when the sun goes down, thermals are going down the mountain. Usually, follow creeks out, creek bottoms out. Yeah, follow and, drainages. Creek you know, bottoms. and not always do they go down. But I found a lot of times that halfway up, like if there's a directional wind, that's where you get your ups on your thermals, even in the evenings. Mm-hmm. So if you stay on the on the lower part of the half of the mountain, then usually it's good. But I've I've had it switch, like you know, in that that little barrier zone. Oh, but, yeah. but usually, you know, it's directional, like you said. Um, it, when it's cold, they're going down. When it's the sun, as soon as the sun hits the mountain, like if you're hiking up there and you got a bull bugling, as soon as that sun hits, it's it's going to change. Yep. So you have to get on equal ground of him. You don't want to be below him no more. So that's kind of a, another yep. little tip. Yeah, when it's um, – and I notice, yeah, when it's shaded in the morning, you get an hour, two hours, depending on where the sunlight is. You know, and as it warms that valley floor, as that sun gets on the valley floor, like then that heat starts to warm – or that air starts to warm up. Then the it air rises rises, rises up. right up the mountains, and it follows drainages and coolies and basins. And so you can play it, but it – you know, it's not a hard rule. It'll do whatever it wants to do. You exactly. Know? And then it, it, <laughs> it's it'll mother go, nature. It'll go up, and then the cloud cover will come over, and it'll kind of cool the air, and the air will drop for a little bit. It'll yep. change. And, that's, and so, you know, most of the time you can count on it coming up. Throughout the sunny day, it'll come up hill yep. until it starts to get shaded, and then it starts to drop again. Yep. And so you can play those thermals. But, man, it gets weird up there in the mountains. Those directionals, when it they play a, pole, play a toll, like a like, – I, you know, I always talk about hunting on the dominant side of a hill where that dominant wind is blowing against it and you'll have a consistent wind. But try hunting on the backside, the lee side of the wind, where the wind goes, hits that that slope and goes over the top and just rolls over. It and rolls. does It just circles in there. And I have places where there's always elk in there, but I can't kill a bull in there because the wind swirls so bad. Yeah, exactly. And yep. that's just part of the game. Yep. It is what it is, you know. Yeah, it it's like anything. You just try to learn from it and get yep. better. I mean, there's always those scenarios, but for the most part, it's you know, it's it's you know, it's not black and white for sure. They they don't exactly follow those rules every single time. Exactly. So you just kind of kind of have to play out the scenario, and you know, if you hike up a mountain and it's cold and the thermals are going down, and you know, of course, when the sun comes up, they always hit the mountain peaks and come down, right? Mm-hmm. That's just how it works. Um, as soon as you hit the sun line, you you. you you almost want to be on equal ground because is what's going to happen is the thermals are going to be switching. They're going to be swirling. You know, you want to be able to play that. I try to find the approach, whether it's from straight up from the side, from below, yeah. but try to play that win. But you know, and as as well as I've learned it over the years and it, it's, you know, I really think I understand it well, and I have this higher grasp of knowledge yeah. of the winds. It always I went changes. In, I went in with my buddy Robin on this six-point bull, and again, it was on the lee side of this ridge, but it was getting late, and I knew the thermals were going to change and pull down, and we were far enough down off the ridge where you didn't get as many swirls, because if you get down lower on the leeward side, it'll fall down and follow the thermals. Yeah. And we hunted this six-point bull that we had glassed you know, throughout the day, and then saw him in the evening, and tried to sneak around. And I remember just hitting that shaker bottle and that wind going every which way and going straight towards him, circling back around, finally coming around on him. And Bull totally winded us, just totally boneheaded that. There wasn't a move to make, and the right move was to back out. But, 
God, you never want to back out. You've waited all day to make a play, and he's in the best spot on planet Earth where you can stalk him and shoot him right there. And it's just like the wind's got to be going one direction, you know? Yep. But he got down in there, and it was just swirling like crazy. He went over the top, and he was gone, totally busted by the wind, and just like, oh, yeah. You know, God damn it, I knew they better. They are the best at figuring that out. They have it figured out. <laughs> yeah. They... We're, st- we're, we're still uh, learning yep. about how this all works. You yeah. know, we kind of got the half of it. But I think that's about it. When you start they making mistakes out. in your stock, whether he heard you or whether, you know, he smelled you or whether he saw you, like like you start to learn from that and you start to get better at it, you know. And so you get busted by the wind. But I notice a lot of times, like I know better. When I get busted, I go, God damn, I knew better not to crawl yeah. across that. Or I knew better that my wind was swirly. I should have got out of here. You know, and you just try to like, okay, you make that mistake a couple times and you go, okay, next time I'm going to realize this and I'm going to back out of here yeah, and I'm going to wait exactly. till morning to hunt this bull. I like to look at a stock of rules of elimination. Like, okay, so did he hear me? Did he see me? Did he do this? Did he do that? So if I take all those away, like even when we're whispering out there, when you know there's no chance of him hearing us, but maybe those things, if you take them away, you know, then you don't have to, you don't have to rule it out in the end of the day. You know, like, did he hear me? Did he see me? Like if you can completely be, you know, eliminate your sight in, in, in all aspects or movement, or like you said, you know, it, it, Everything helps. Every little detail helps, I think. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, for sure. Paying attention to the details. Being being spot on in that red zone. The pressure's on to get it all right, and you want that buck or that yep. bull so bad. Like, getting those things right, like, that's your backcountry test. Yeah. Like, that's can you get it right? Can you not make a mistake? Can You know, can you make the right moves and make the right calls? Can you let your instincts take over and get in there and, yep. and shoot that thing? And you – you feel a lot, and sometimes they're just going to beat you. You can do it all right, and they're going to beat you. But yeah. I still look at it and go, what could have I done differently? Nine, nine, oh, nine chances out of ten, they're going to beat yeah. you no matter what you do. But I think I can kill yeah, everyone exactly. I see. You know, but, but it all comes back to the persistence things. When you, you oh, know, yeah. when you stock nine out of ten bucks, well, you know, chances are you're going you're gonna to beat those elements. Yeah. Well, um, reading the body language of the animals you're hunting is so important. Like whether it's an antelope or a bull or a buck, you know, a lot of times you can see the horns up above, which way they're facing, how they turn their head, their ears. But you get to know an animal. Like yep. I can read these antelope, and you can too, and you'll say, oh, he's got us pegged. And then I'll say, no, he doesn't. He's back feet. Yep. Like he's he's good. Like he he doesn't see us. Or same thing with me. I say, oh, he's looking right in our direction. Don't move. Don't move. Don't move. You know. Yep. And, and then you go, no, he's fine. He's feeding again. You know. Yeah. And so, like, you kind of got to read their body language, but you read when they're spooked or when they're picking up scent or when they're, you know, you, you just get to learn it because you mess up so many times. You know what exactly. they're doing when you see them. I don't know if there's any anything you can do to figure out an antelope <laughs> uh, on the hoof. <laughs> it's either it's you, either he's coming your way or he's not. Yeah. You said today we could do the opposite of what we thought we should do every time. And, and we would have been be successful three ex- times. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Because those three opportunities, they yeah. basically walked. They would have been in our lap. Yeah, but we got a bunch of good opportunities. Oh, we awesome. were getting a bunch fun. of stocks, and God, you were stocking good. I mean, you're, you know, uh, uh, your read on the animals, your read on the play, using the land features, not exposing yourself. And I took the back position a lot. I was running rangefinder and camera, trying to do both at once, yeah. which was wild. But uh, oh, yeah, you know we. We were getting in close. We were making it happen. You were making the right moves. Just antelope hunting. They're yeah. just going to win a bunch. You're belly crawling, stepping on cactus, you know. Oh, it, yeah. It's all good. Yeah, it's getting some out of my knee tonight. I'm usually yeah. pretty good, but those dead ones out there, the dead ones they're that camo. were brown, they totally camoed in. And there's a bunch of small ones just landmined everywhere in exactly. there, too. 
that there, you know, if you can't see those things at two feet, can you imagine the cactus camel? Cactus camel. (laughs) You're right. Yeah, that's what we need. You would blend into planet Earth. Yeah, Yeah. those things were just so camouflaged in there. Yeah, I mean, I I got maybe one knee in them at one point. I know I got a knee in them. I touched them a couple times just like, oh. I spoke out loud. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, son of a. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Um, Yeah, Uh, antelope make you earn it. But just like every animal and you get more chances on antelope and so you get to learn a bunch and you you get to to learn what you can and can't do like it seems like more high pressure when you're on elk or on deer you know you just yeah. you you get fewer chances a season and especially once you start setting your your sights higher and higher for a bigger buck like you only make get two stocks a season you have to be perfect on those two stocks you know and and they're such high pressure stocks but you just got to be willing to do whatever it takes to get in close and the more you can look at things and just slow down and go to take your time like you said it to me i said it to you a yep. million times it like, takes you two take hours it takes you two hours to get in there you know what At the final moments you, 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 10 extra minutes is not going to do anything yeah just to slow it down at the, that that final approach slow it down you're going to be a Fifty percent, ninety percent more successful. You know? Oh, spot and stock is all about slowing down. Yeah, isn't it? The, at the final, at the final touches, you really have to be on your game yep. and just you know and, slow it down. I, I just think don't blow it in the end. You know, yeah. you've done, you put all this effort you to get around this thing. This is the end. It. Like yeah. he's either gonna be here or he's not. Yeah. But don't let him hear you coming. Don't, don't rush let it. him see you coming. Don't rush it. Like just peek over this thing and. You know, you get busted enough when you do everything right. Like, you don't want to be the one that makes a mistake. Because when you mess up a, a stock on the 350 bowl of your dreams, you know, and that was your one chance for the season or, you know, you're, you, you, you one of two chances, like, gosh, dang it, man, you just want to make it count so much. Just slow it down. Just yep. calm yourself. Take a deep breath and just go, okay, really watch your side vision. Really come over the top slow. If you're calling, make sure you're doing those little things drawn early when he's behind a tree. Like, there's, yeah. there's so many little details to kill exactly. an animal that yep. that those make the difference on a hunt for sure for sure yeah oh, it's fun isn't it gotcha hunting with a bow there's just nothing like it i love getting close yeah, to things exactly yeah it's a it's a blast to just to go out there and you know just try to you know somewhat compete with that animal in his own elm mm-hmm. or you know it's just it's awesome yeah. And to know that you can get in close like that is, you know, an accomplishment. His element, life and death for him. Yeah. It, his job is Their to catch predators. Their senses are so keen. It's just like that's what they live by, you yep. know. And if you can get in there and, and somewhat beat that, then that's success for me. I yeah, think. that's the ultimate for sure. Not that's even releasing an arrow. Yep. So you got your elk down, got to work on an antelope. Uh, and then, and then you really do good hunting late season mule deer. So you hunt late season mule deer, you, you pick up the rifle in the late season and and you go hunt that tough brush in Northwest Montana up and through there in country where nobody can kill a big one up and through there. (laughs) Like they're there, you know, you just got to work extra hard, you know, and you know, persistence one is another thing, you Mm -hmm. know, like we always say it's persistence is everything. You're going to hear us say that a million times over this, but, uh, you know, just getting up there and, uh, you know, hitting it hard, you know, that there's, there's so many days that I wake up in the morning and say, you know what, I'm just going to sleep in today. You know, I'm just going to get catch up on my sleep. And then I think to myself, this could be the day that I kill that big old 190, 200 inch buck. I'm getting up, you know, it's just, you got to have that drive. You got to have that will. And if you keep doing it enough, 
it's going to happen. Dude, that's how I killed my bull this year. It's exactly going to happen. If, if for the, the first time you – I look at it as the first time you sleep in is the day that you could have did that. Yep. I don't leave anything on the table. That was me. I did a I did a big trip elk hunting, and you know it. We had some close calls. Didn't catch much rut activity, but found some bulls and got on them. And yeah. And then you know I was getting ready to go on that trip with you, but I just couldn't keep out of the woods. Yeah. I was just in don't there. Don't stop. I was in yeah, there that you morning. You know, just before work. Just oh, I gotta go yeah. check it out. At least go glass and see where they are. And in that morning, I went and got in country because I knew there was a bunch of elk rutting around. You know, got in there, and that's when it happens. You know, yep. but. Gosh, you can very easily put it off, but you're right. Uh, you, you just got to have that drive and keep going. And so, Northwest Montana, I mean, you got low populations, you got thick underbrush, you got uh, steep cliffs, gnarly mountains, and so you yeah. know. And I, I don't like to take spots, but go ahead and take a try in Northwest Montana. Oh my God! Yeah, it's, you can it's die super in tough. That you know, you're, you know, you're looking at anywhere from two, three, you know, four thousand feet of elevation uh, up in you know deep snow. It looks like deep too. snow. You know, yep. it's just like you, you go up there and you're tromping through. You know, knee deep at minimum, and that mountain range gets a bunch of precipitation. It just moves right across there and gets trapped on that mountain. It's like it gets over the first mountain range coming from the Pacific Ocean, yeah. like right there in the Cascades. But anything that squirts over the Cascades goes right across those plains and hits your guys' mountain range. Oh, right it just there. just peppers it. Yep. You know, I, I look at the weather, and and if they say there's a one percent chance of precipitation, guess what? You're getting about six inches of snow. That's <laughs> <laughs> just the way it is. That's a one percent yeah. chance. Yeah, huh? that's your one percent chance of the yeah. day. You're getting six inches of snow, and just and, be ready for it. And so, you know, I have a buck from that country, or a couple of them, but man, oh man, well are they earned. hard work. Yeah, yeah they're well And so, earned. you wake up day in, day out, and you go and hunt these these back basins, and you're hunting wilderness and gnarly country. And so, every morning, you're you're not really camping out back in there because it's so cold to live back in there, but you'll get up at those, those early mornings hours, like even two or three in the morning. Yeah, and then you, you start know. hiking up and you bust that trail, bust through the brush, the deep snow, get to an Alpen basin up there. And, and then you're checking out for mule deer and it doesn't happen every day. You don't even see a buck every day. Exactly. Some days you're hiking out and then the next morning you're up a different drainage or that evening you're up a different drainage and you just keep working these drainages and then you pick them apart up in there. Yeah, I do and a you, lot of glassing, you and, know, and like you said, it's just, it, that's just the way it is. A lot of glassing, a lot of persistence. Um, it, there's, there's the last three bucks I've harvested. It's, it's basically been, you know, I see them three, two, three miles away. And then I get back at 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock at night. It gets dark at what, six thirty ish, but you know, during rifle season and I'll get up at midnight just to make it up there by daylight. You know, it's a, it's a five, six hour grind, you know, it's just, brush just deep going snow. for it but yeah if i if i really know that there's a buck there on these does it's just and I've, I've done it the last three years it's gonna happen and i just i make it happen yeah and you got some giant bucks in a state that it's so hard to kill big ones and in, in montana and you've just done so well up and through there so yeah i'm so impressed and like um yeah i you know Killing those things like that, it is just day in, day out, just going for it, doing the grind, of getting up in there, glassing that drainage and coming out. And I, and I noticed too, like you got to believe in your spots. And I find myself slipping into this trap, like like even at the state I'm in and and hunting where I'm at, like. Sometimes if I'm not into those animals initially, like it's it's kind of like oh they're not here I gotta go to a different spot or I but 
man, oh man, like you got to believe in every spot you're in and go hard in every spot you're in and you look at every to. nook and cranny. That's believe exactly that right. buck is there. Believe that bull is there. Pick it apart. And if he's not there, I'm going to keep walking. I'm going to find him, you know? And so I, even, even myself, like I've got to get in that mindset. And I, you know, I found myself a couple times this year going, oh, they're not here and you're kind of down and they're not in your spot. You didn't hear him bugle. You, you didn't hear him you this. You can never do that. And you just got to go for it. You got to send I've, it across those drainages and just go find one wherever he's at. And if you don't find him, so you covered 15 miles that day and you're back at your truck, you're better for it, you know. Exactly. Then you go in your next best bet. But don't give up too soon. Don't give up too early. Like, you got to always go hard and always believe they're in exactly. there. Exactly. You know, the believing, like you said, is, is, is super key to what you're doing. Um, I've, I've literally walked up mountains and, you know, and barely seen any tracks and, you know, in the snow or off the snow. Um, but I've sat down in Glasgow Hillside for two, three hours, nothing, completely dead. And all of a sudden a big old buck appears out of nowhere. There's no way he could have got there. He was just there, you know? So you, you really have to pick it apart. Like you said, believe in it. They're there. You just got to find them. Yep. And, and even when it's slow, like, you know, my last trip to the breaks, they weren't calling at all. So you couldn't sit over a drainage and hear a bugle and go chase it. Bulls were running together like it was a big storm and it shut them down, you know. Yeah, and that so makes it tough. Yeah, so it was like hunting them like, like it was rifle season in October and they're high pressure. And so yeah. you just had to move through there and go look for them and go find them. But, God, you just got to – you got to keep believing they're there and they're there somewhere. And I just keep picturing them in their bed or, you know, walking around like they're somewhere. And, and even that middle of the day, I don't like to tromp around and spook stuff in the middle of the day as they're bedded down. But man, you can move around country and glass down into stuff and pick out stuff in the middle of the day and cover country and keep hunting hard. And you want to make sure you've got enough energy for the evening and take it easy. And you don't got to cover a million miles, but Man, I keep looking in that middle of the day. It's amazing you know, what you I, can I've pick honestly, out. I've honestly called in some of my biggest bulls from like 11.30, 12.30 in the day. Like, you know, I always had a rule of, okay, the elk, I, I kind of have a basic rule for myself. An elk's bugling. Usually by 10 o'clock, he's, he's bedding down. But it seems like they, they get up early in the season and at 11, 11, 30, 12, I've literally called in some giant bulls at that time, mm-hmm. you know. And like the bull I killed this year, it was like 11 o'clock or in the, in the middle of the morning. Like I was on my way out to my truck. I had I had no intentions of killing an elk that day, zero. I'm on my way out, and all of a sudden he just bugles again on his own. I was like, oh, okay, he's right above me, you know. Slip up the mountain, a couple sweet little cow calls right on me. You know, so it's just, you just never, yeah. never lose thought of what, you know, and it could happen at any time. Sometimes you watch animals in the morning and there is no play on them. And so if you watch them, it's amazing. They get up through the day and they'll feed around. And sometimes, you know, they're not going to walk out into the biggest opening, but they'll walk the edges of yeah, it. And those, they'll get up and move around. Muleys will get up and move around. Those mule deer around. do the exact yeah. same thing. They'll and, get up and they'll just feed around the general yeah. 20, 20, you know, yeah. yard little thing and they'll get right back up there so and you bed don't down. glass it like it's morning or evening where you look out there and go you know there's nothing here i've glassed it for an hour they're gone like you got to keep picking it apart yep. and all of a sudden you'll see one stand up or yeah, feed out or bit. feed the edge yeah. or an elk you'll see a body and yeah one of the bulls we came across this year we came over the hill and 
it was later in the morning. We were moving our camp, and it was 1030, and this thing was going nuts. He yeah. was bugling all over, running around this six-point, and then these other cows and five-point came out and fed. Yeah. And, you know, they were going nuts, and he was going nuts till noon, and then he ended up bedding down until later in the evening or whatever. But, yeah, I mean, you'll find action in that For middle sure. of the day. Just got to be more patient with it, and you don't kill yourself in that middle of the day. But – but sneak up to those drainages. Don't expose yourself skyline. Sneak behind a tree. Sneak behind the brush. Get in there and start picking them apart. Pick it apart for an hour or so and then and then move your vantage point around the exactly. drainage. Exactly. You know, I've done that in numerous basins around where I live too. And, you know, you're bugling elk. You're running after them. You're going from one ridge to the other ridge. You know, you're chasing them around, whatever. And then everything dies down at 10 o'clock, right? And I found myself sitting next to a tree, eating lunch, just not saying a word. And all of a sudden... It, the whole woods come alive again an hour later. And it, this was a scenario my buddy uh, killed an elk a couple of years ago doing the exact same thing, like noon. Just completely shut down. I, I was basically sleeping. Bull bugles like 200 yards from me, woke me up, and we ran down the mountain. I cow called, pulled him right out, stopped right there, game over. Like it, it wasn't supposed to happen, but it did, you know? It's so you just, you'd never know. Mm hmm. Be in there, be persistent. And yep, you, and don't you know. get discouraged middle no. of the day too. Like I'm, you know, take it easy. Like I'm saying, yeah. but you keep yep. looking around and you go, oh, maybe I'll head over there for the evening. And you walk over there and you start glassing it and grab some different vantage points. But try to never expose yourself or never give up on an area. Yep. The, the moment you walk over the top or you skyline yourself, you chase the biggest buck out in front oh, of yourself. Yeah, and you, you just you think, know. gosh, I should have picked that apart or I should have slowed down a little bit. But yep. yeah, I mean it. It, it's such you can be so much more effective if you're using that middle of the day and i you know to be honest i've kind of got caught in the trap of just mornings and evenings going super hard and not doing much in that middle of the day and you, you're just able to pick out more animals if you just keep in the mountains and you and keep looking over exactly. a spot and look over a vantage point in your areas it's open and it's the exact same thing where it's thick for us it's 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 different but it's still the same scenario you know exactly like you said we can't up here we can't spot and stock in the in the brush and stuff like that but you know the vocals and you know you can hear them you can hear stuff walking by you you know pretty regular yeah so you don't give up on a spot yeah. you stay in there and you stay listen there, to you a know, drainage they just, they, maybe they, make a bugle here yeah. and there and just kind of hang out and then go okay we'll move over to this yeah. ridge line see if there's anything in there and just listen up and then you'll hear them sound off and then it's game on yep being yeah. where they're at you know pretty much success I'd if it say. works out, yep. for sure. And same thing, late season mule deer, you probably yep. glass around that drainage throughout the day in the snow and, and see one come up or show up or see a group of does. And then another tip you use like in the, in the snow or whatever is you're always looking for tracks. And I do that as well. Yeah, as you I, know, I try to glass tracks. Yeah, if I get into an area and there's a lot of snow or I any kind of snow, um, you can basically, in the high country, it's pretty alpine, you know. You know, it's thick down low, but once you get up high – you can kind of see in glass, but uh, you can kind of follow their tracks right to where they're at, you know, give or take. You know, you can see them coming across, and if you don't see them coming out of a clump of trees or something, you basically know they're kind of in there. Yep. But I've also seen, you know, I'm, I'm hunting these specific groups of does that I know are usually always in these areas. Um, you might not, you might go in there and, and see a small buck in the morning and nothing, right? And all of a sudden, two hours later, a giant buck comes off the hill and checks those does and comes back up. So they don't always during late season rut they, those big bucks don't usually hang directly with those deer 
they're kind of on the outskirts. I found that too. And and they come down and they know it's within like a 24 hour cycle. When it gets close, they know okay, it's time for this one, and they just start pushing them. You know, mm-hmm. and you, you really got to have that on the back of your mind for late season rut if you're in Dude, those areas. That's a good tip. Yeah. So just because you don't see them there doesn't mean they're not there. I've I've seen a lot of big bucks. You know quarter mile away they just come in they they usually use the wind the thermals like we're talking and i've watched them do it does move down the mountain they get up move down the mountain same direction bed down no way they can see them they just they it's it's weird and i i've seen a big buck that'll court a few does and be keeping tabs on them but i've also seen where a buck will leave those does you know and so at, at night in the early morning he'll leave those does and he'll go bed away from them not where they bed but where he can kind of see down on them and keep an eye on them and keep close to him or another thing i notice is they'll cut a doe off the hot doe and he'll take her up the mountain and he'll leave the other herd a four or five three you know it could be whatever he'll leave those deer and he'll chase that doe up top and go breeder up top and so yeah just because you see a group of does don't give up you got a glass above them glass around them just hang tight yep you know you're right there change during the rut like uh you're right there i mean i've i've literally watched bucks come from two or three different ridges away a mile to go check on a different group of does and then go directly back Okay. To the goes the, the does that they were on. Yep. It's 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 actually quite interesting. And I, you know, you're hiking up into these secluded basins, and no matter what type of country you're hunting, whenever you can get to secluded basins that can't be glassed by roads, you know, they you don't get to them easy. But sometimes it's just a mile walk over to a different feature. But anytime you can get to those secluded drainages, I think those bucks rut in the same places year to year, and so I they think they survive do, yeah. when they when they rut back in these back drainages. Uh, you know, rather than the bucks that rut close to the roads and things, yep. they get shot and never grow up. But the big bucks, they're back in those backcountry spots or those back drainages or even in, you know, rolling brakey type country. Yep. Like they're back in those drainages that not everybody can see that takes a little effort. And even like like people hate losing elevation, going down and going up. Go ahead. Use the restroom. Yeah, I'll cover for you. We'll We'll close this thing out. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I can I can edit out okay, too. Pause I, mean, it, I then. never do. Yeah, yeah. It's pause it. Oh, yeah, man, for I'm sure. Loading, yeah. But yeah, hunting those deer, like, gosh dang it, like you're 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 always, you know, you're you're just trying to get to those back places where nobody can see in those hillsides that are tough to glass, and you get back in there, and it's amazing what you can find. You know, you can find those bucks that go four years old or five years old or six years old, those more mature bucks. And so, you know, I'm just always looking for those backcountry spots. And I never, I never judge a location by what I can see off the roads. And, you know, sometimes you get lucky and you glass way up on a feature or off in the distance, you know, and you can, you can pick out a good buck, but a lot of times, like you got to get that next level back. And, and, and even in open country or roaded country, the, the rules are the same. Uh, you know, in the wilderness, it's trails, like getting off trail, uh, you know, especially where you got pressure, like uh, finding those basins that are, that are off and, and out of the way. That's where it seems like those big bucks grow up and get old. And, and it just seems like year after year, they hit those same spots. And that's where you find those, those more mature ones. So that's what I try to key in on, you know, whether it's, whether it's mountains or whether it's open breaky country or whatever it is, you know, I, I try to focus on, on those backcountry places and, and, and where I can get into them. But, um, man, it's just 
such a good elk season for me. It, it finally closed out. I, uh, man, I was able to get this bull and, uh, I'm just so fortunate. Just a ton of time this year hunting with my Hawaiian buddies and hunting with Dan for elk. And, and then, you know, it was my turn and I went over to film and man, it was a tough days of, uh, of hunting. We had this huge storm blow in and hunt this gumbo country where it's all sticky and mucky over there and had to wait for it to dry out in similar conditions to last year and you know to, to go over there chase some bulls around and have some close calls not able to get it done like do a second trip and you know be able to to kill that bull man it's just um it's, it's so just making right on those opportunities but um man it, yeah, it sounds like you did everything right. You know, all the stars aligned, and that's it's awesome. It's, yeah, it's great when it comes together like that. Oh, a little bit of luck and uh, uh, persistence, like you say. The the theme of the podcast. So yeah. I got to name this podcast persistence. Uh, persistence. But but it is. You just keep believing. You keep going out there. You keep thinking you can kill that thing, and you know, eventually, like you, you get lucky and it happens. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You're definitely not gonna have luck sitting at home for sure. No, yeah, you you got to get out every day you can, and you know you just got to make a plan and just keep going. And um, you know, this deal, I you know I I really wanted to capture on film, and I so I just went out and I said, well, you know, I'll either get it on film or you know I won't shoot it. It's fine, you know. Yeah, it's a, it's amazing it. you got that on film because as a as a solo hunter like I am, I know how difficult it is, and it's extremely hard to try to get a bugle and bull or a moving antelope or anything in viewfinder and then try to harvest at the same time. You know what I mean? Uh, it's, it's just like, it, it's super tough. I mean, it, it's tough for a rifle, let alone a bow. Oh, I got so lucky. You know, yeah, it's just, I just tough. I caught that bull and he was bugling like crazy. And, you know, he, he, he came up and he was behind his cows and I was able to get in the drainage and just kind of cut him off. But yeah, able to set the tripod, and get yeah. him in the tripod and then shoot him. It's just wild. But yeah, no, that's, um, that's awesome. Yeah. No, just, um, sometimes it comes together. It's yep. just, uh, persistence. Like you keep out there enough and eventually you get lucky, you know, or yeah. you learn and it, it's tough to keep yourself up when you have tough days of hunting where you don't see an elk, you don't find an elk. And it's yeah, just like, man, exactly. you just gotta go. Where's the next spot I'm going to go. You know, persistence always turns into luck. Mm-hmm. You know, if you do it enough, it's going to it's gonna happen. Yep. No matter if you're the un- most unlucky guy on the face of the planet, if you do it enough, it's going to happen. Yep. You're going to get opportunities. You're going to get that one break. You you get chances, but then it, it all comes down to making it happen. It all comes yeah. down to executing that shot, making that shot. And you know, like if you work hard enough, you're going to get some chances at some animals. You don't know how many. It may yeah, be one. Exactly. It, it may be a few, but you know, you got to make it happen in those chances. Yeah. And so that's where all that preparation comes I, into I like play to, and yep. working hard in the off season, being really familiar with your equipment, your range finder, and just being dialed in. Like you know, you're going to get those chances, and that's what hunting is: is it's making good on those those few opportunities yep. you get a season to put that arrow in that animal or you know, whatever it is. And we all mess up. But that, but that's what it's all about. Yeah, exactly, and it, you know, it's just like you know what I do for putting in for tags in Montana. I'm gonna draw a special tag sooner or later. It's probably gonna be later than sooner, but you know what? If I don't put in, I'm not gonna draw. Mm-hmm. It's just the same same aspect. I do that too. I get a good plan for out of state spots, in state spots, and man, I I just start I'm playing start the game. I'm gonna start putting in for out of state. Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't done it yet. But oh, I'm gonna start. God, playing the tag game is so awesome. Like, 
that's how us us blue collar guys get to hunt the best places on on planet Earth or United States. Anyways, I yeah. call it planet Earth because it's a location. But you know, that's how we get to hunt the best spots is by playing that tag game. And there's a lot of great tags for zero to one points. You know that you yeah. can go into and figure out. And it's like nobody's doing this. Are you kidding me? Yeah. You know. And then there's spots where you can save points and just hunt the ultimate spot for that species where they get the biggest. And you know, he, us with a bow, we get a good chance to draw some really good tags and so guys got to be playing the tag game and trying to hunt yeah. the, these locations I, i've been and missing these cool out spots. for a lot of years i think yeah, yeah i, oh. I got to start doing it yeah well you've been successful and consistently successful you know up where you're at and learning that country where you're at you know that's that's a big part of it too is is just getting familiar and learning and evolving your hunting skill and and then and then you just start sending it in different places and just yeah. going, gosh, can I be successful on coos deer down in Arizona? Can I can I be successful, you know, in Alaska? And you've done a bunch of trips. You did Alaska. You were able to kill a moose up there. Yeah, I did a self-guided trip up to Alaska a few years back, a buddy of mine and uh, with a buddy of mine. And, uh, yeah, we we were super successful, you know. We we got in there. The, the pack wasn't real great, but you know what? <laughs> My intentions were getting a moose, and I got a moose, and he got a moose. And it was all – I think we drove – uh, 53 hours one way. Um, we hunted about 53 hours, 53 hours oh one way. God. Oh yeah. It was about 5,000 miles. So far. <laughs> like Arizona for me is like 24, 25. Yeah. I think it, it was like 5,000 miles it, round trip that, or something like that. I can't remember. Oh my gosh. You were questioning your sanity after a drive like that. Like I like driving and I like traveling, but that is a lot of hours. That's a lot man. of hours. And especially when you're driving with a guy that I call sudden sleep syndrome, like he'll be talking to you and he'll be out like that. So when it was her, when it was his turn to drive, you can guarantee I wasn't sleeping. Yeah, you're not allowed to sleep when you're the passenger. You have a job as a passenger yeah. in a vehicle, like, and your job is not to sleep. Now, okay, granted, if you're going long distances, like the 25 hour, like, okay, you go, okay, I'm gonna take a nap here. Make sure you take a nap when I'm driving. We're gonna try to go all night. Like, okay, I get that. Yeah. But driving down the road at two in the afternoon, you're not allowed to take no, a nap no, no, in the no. truck. No, no, this was like, uh, like I said, it was 53 hours and you know you're taking you know 20 hour shifts you know we we didn't sleep going down there we just took shifts but oh, you're so excited yeah to too. <laughs> oh it was just, it was phenomenal you know and, and going down the alcan highway it was it was a pretty neat experience i've never been down that and uh you know just to see it all on ground was pretty cool but it was a long trip like i said 53 hours uh we drove down there we got there um got there the night before i, I threw my spot and scope on the window zoomed it in focused it back to back out bull moose same frame it was i was like okay this is this ain't happening right went back the next morning picked him up went in shot the moose 56 hour pack out one way got back to camp did a slight evening hunt not one way like totally you had 50 hours in the pack and that full out 56 of 56 hours total to get that moose out. So how many loads do you guys do? Do you guys do it in doubles? We did it in three loads. We we, we went in, packed it out like a mile or two. Oh, so you were went miles back, in. back. Yeah, we were about six, seven miles you in. You have that muskeg in and there? And it was horrible. <laughs> Swampy. Just... It was just like, uh, you know, if I could have had snowshoes, I would have wore them because the biggest tip for me, I've never been around that country. I, I didn't know, but it's so... Like, if you have a small-soled boot, 
it's almost like you roll your ankles. You know how it is. It's so spongy. And muskeg, like it's um, these well, it mounds of yeah. grass. Yep. And the mounds of grass aren't solid. And so you don't know whether to walk on the top of the mounds of grass and try to roll your ankle or you try to step in the lows and it's all wet in there. And you can roll yourself just the That's same. That's what I'm saying. And but it's in, like this constant puzzle where there's no solution to yeah. it. Like you just got to suffer through that Exactly. Stuff. And it's horrible. Like it takes every muscle in your leg to stabilize yourself like on top of that stuff. It's way and different. And so it just wears you out like a yeah. mile of traveling and a mile of traveling in normal country in you know like a mile traveling in the muskeg country is it's like, like 10 miles on yeah flat ground. three to five or, miles on fat flat uh, ground that's solid what ground, I, I like to call yeah, it yeah for sure man yeah, that but that's why i was getting evil. out with the snowshoes you know the, those muskegs are you know a foot apart you know you got dirt and a foot depth in between but if you had snowshoes, you could just walk right across that stuff. Oh, my like. gosh. That stuff is brutal. <laughs> yeah, like I know, I still, you still got to go for it and send it yeah. in that country because you're in Alaska. But, man, oh, man, is that stuff just wear you out. For sure. No, so like I said, it was 56 hours. And we got oh, back Jesus. to camp. Um, oh, how sore were you guys? Oh, we, like took, a, a, we got, took a few like hours. car wreck. Oh, yeah. We took a few hour little rest. We went out that evening, seen a couple cows, went back to the very same spot that I spotted my moose that uh, – you know, like a two days prior, threw the threw the spotter on, seen another one. It was about two miles closer, exact same area. Went in, Mason shot his, packed it out. His was like 48 hours, and then we went home. So basically, we hunted for a couple days maybe, and I was gone for two weeks. Oh, those moose are so <laughs> They're heavy. Huge. Such good meat, but yeah, so heavy. God, what an adventure! And yeah, it um, was it was awesome. Man, oh man, yeah. Those those moose. Oh, so that's a good point. It's like that moose moving through the same area. Like I found when I hunted moose, like they like to migrate through the same areas, and and all animals like to travel through the same you know, travel corridors through country or mountains or saddles or passes or tops or ridgelines. Like, they seem to travel it the same. But but moose, especially, like, um, where I'd see moose cross, I'd see a moose two days later or exactly. a day later, like, in that same area crossing that same travel pattern. Exactly. You know, and it, it goes that route with a lot of different animals. You know, where, where muleys winter, they always winter there. Where elk rut, they generally always rut there. So, like, if you're up hiking around in the middle of summer and you see a bunch of rubs, that's probably because they're elk rutting there. You know, they're, they're always going to come back to those areas because that's a rutting ground. You we know? we have rut zones, and then yeah. we have wintering zones, too. Exactly. Sometimes where you find scrapes down low, they're not rutting in there. They're wintering in there. But, they're different but, scrapes, though. Yeah. Uh, are they? So, yeah. So from what I found on that, a bull elk will rub a whole tree, like, completely dismantle from top to bottom. And they they do rub during the winter, but their winter rubs, because I'm a big horn hunter and you are too, their winter rubs are usually in between 8 and 10 inches long. Okay. If you ever see like a real short, about six, uh, 4 or 5 feet up on a tree, and just, just a short rub, is usually a winter rub. Where the rut rubs, they tear that they tree apart. They completely strip it from, branches top, to, just from top to bottom. Branches just strewn everywhere. Yep. That makes sense, yeah. Yep. I pick up on that. I usually key into the elevation, and I just know yep. wintering grounds to rutting grounds and try to pay attention to it. But you're right, yeah, when you come across those. Now, and that doesn't mean elk are going to rut there the whole month of September. It means they rut there at some point during the rut. Yep. It could be October 10th. It could be September 5th. You know, like – 
Like I just noticed, like good elk spots, like elk aren't there all the time. They're and can, there, and it, and it can vary with the year. It can vary with yep. uh, the conditions. storms. Yep. the storms that come in. This they, year we had a dry year, so they were in the best feed spots, up the best, like most lush green feed up those. You know, the a lot of you know lower south facers or bottoms or even north face green. Like I noticed they were in those spots this year. But you're right, the conditions dictate where the elk will be. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it kind of varies. So. Yeah, for sure. Well, right on, man. It's getting late. I shut this thing down. Thanks so much for jumping on the podcast again. So much good information. In oh, this yeah. One. I just love getting together and talking, hunting with you. And, you know, I'm sure we'll have a bunch more hunts to come up. And um, fun hunting antelope. We're close. I appreciate you having me down here. It's been a blast. Mm-hmm. Yep, we'll do it again. All right. Thanks a bunch, man. Yeah, you bet. So can you watch what we just talked about? Um, yeah, I can look back at all the audio of it. Yeah. Okay. So scroll back like five minutes or not even that two yeah. minutes and then pick up the conversation where we're at and we'll just pick it up from there. Yeah. Yeah. We just jump right into another yep. conversation. Yep. Just, okay. We'll you just ready? roll with it. Yeah. What'd we end off with? Um, well, I'll just start it off again. I'll just get the conversation rolling again and we'll go for it. How are you going to edit that in though? Oh, you can get, you can edit it. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Or hell, I may just leave that in, like the just the uh, well, the back pass to the show. Yeah, <laughs> no, I figured we just like figure out what we were talking about last because yeah. I can't remember either. Right, it goes and then, quick, and then we could yeah. watch it, and then you can just say, "Well, all right, we just took a short break, and now we're back here." And That's like right. you said, yeah, we'll just roll it again. Yeah, well, you're constantly jumping from one thing to the next, so let me just. What you want to kind of try to stay on task, though, don't you think? <laughs> Not like completely like, oh, now we're riding a diamond back. <laughs> you, know? Yeah, the bi- the, you know, the bike thing. Yeah, that was great, you know. Right? Yeah. Oh, that's what it is. Yeah, love okay. it. It's about humor. What are we doing? I'll, look, I'll just start us off again. Okay, gotcha. All right, I'm back. I had to take a break there, a little bathroom break, but uh, just having such a good hunting conversation, I just wanted to keep it going. So, um, yeah, I mean uh, – Season's great. Now we're winding down. I mean, it's tough to keep your focus throughout the season. Like, it's a lot of time. Um, it is. A lot of it commitment. is a lot of time, a lot of commitment, you know, a lot of time from your family, you know. It's it's awesome that we both have families that support what we do. You know, without them, we wouldn't be who we are, oh, in man. my belief. Right. So I, I got to give the, you know, the props to the wife and oh, the kids yeah. and, you know, everything. You know, if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be doing this. Mm-hmm. for yeah. sure no it's way cool yeah i mean take care of the girls and give me time and i'm just playing out in the woods just yeah. chasing things with my bow yeah. just bow hunter problems not like, making any money you oh, know it's, it's just, all good i know it's just the best <laughs> in the world though it just recharges your batteries and yeah just seems to understand and support it and you know uh and it makes you want to be a better person throughout the year too you exactly. like you get you get to do what you love to do you know and go go chase your absolute passion you know so yep. so the rest of the year you're making sure you're getting done with your hunting you know, we definitely, and... you know, definitely make it up during the off season for <laughs> have sure. To, yeah. With all the hunting I do, yeah, exactly. <laughs> she killed me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Same here. No, it's um, it, it's pretty cool when you have that support. And 
Like, I just love the adventure. I love living an adventurous lifestyle. Like, I love traveling around and immersing myself in whatever it is, five days, seven days. Sometimes it's three days. I'm weekend warrior. But just immerse myself in, in, in the woods or in the mountains or in the prairie and, like, try to harvest this animal. Like, I'm engaged and I can't think about other problems I have in life. And, like, it's just so simple to me. Like, I just – that, and that's why I enjoy it so much. Exactly. You know, Mother Nature is just truly amazing and – you know that's why we do it you know it, it is why we do it is because you can just go out there and soulfully think of you know one thing just hunting and you know or fishing or whatever you want to do you know it's just it's 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 peace at mind yeah and you, you know you don't think about your work job or your exactly. you know it's just a place where you can just relax and just hang out well, and you engage in what you're doing. Like when I'm floating down the river, like I look up and go, yeah, that's prettier. And, and I enjoy it. And anytime I get a break, I enjoy it. But I'm so focused on sticking that fly in that right spot in that pocket and, and then skiffing it out and just so focused on what I'm doing, just trying to catch one of those things. So engaged that, that my mind's so engaged. I'm thinking about every little detail of what I'm doing in the next spot and where's the next run and under that brush and kick it in. There he is and surf him out. No, oh, I can't get tangled in that. No. Oh, that was a bad cast. Cast again. Like that, that when you immerse yourself in something like that, you're totally engaged. Like that's, that's the best stress reliever and in the it, world. It, it for is. Me. And, and you know what? And in what you said there, you, you may have like 12, 12 hours go by. And you you won't even know it. Yeah, don't look at my phone. I don't. No phones, like, no clocks. Yeah. Like when I'm hunting, there's no phones. There's no clocks. Like when I'm off work, it's it's the clock is dark and sunrise. <laughs> that, oh, I me, know. Yeah, it gets it, simpler. It, it, it's just, yep. that's and, the way it is. And you're challenging, put everything down. You're challenging, challenging yourself to, to take care of yourself in the woods too, like like all of a sudden it isn't so pampered. If I tie out here, like the woods don't care. The mountain doesn't care. No. Like I've got to make sure I take care of myself. I keep myself dry. You know, I've got a fire starter in there. I keep moving if I'm cold. Like like there's all these elements, you know, lightning keeping off the peaks, camping in a good spot, not getting hit with a deadfall. I've got grizzly bears. Yeah. I've got rattlesnakes. I've yeah, got like there's sure. always challenges in like conquering these fears and conquering these these challenges out in the hunting world. Like, like, man, I mean, that's that's what it's all about. And when I can go do that, like, it's like I reset myself, you know. Yeah, exactly. Even it's if it's blast. even if I'll drive across the state to go hunt one day, if that's all I got, like, yeah. I'll just hunt my days off. And when I've got a day to go, you know, I go hard if it's season and, you know, I go see what happens. And a yeah, lot of times you, know, you just have an adventure. Even if you don't see anything, you have an adventure. As long as you're having fun, that's why we do it. Oh, man, isn't that it? Yeah. yeah. And it's – um. Like I've, I've got to let things go too. Like, um, when I'm in the woods, I learned this lesson when I was a little bit younger is I'd, I'd start like the woods or the mountains in, in vast backcountry by yourself. It makes you question, you know, how everything's working, whether it's, you know, your marriage, your job, your work, the, you know, what, what you're working on right then and there, like all of a sudden you're back in there and, and now the middle of the day, there's not much to do, even though we you just talked about what you so do. so much time to think about stuff. Yeah. yeah. You, you think about everything. You actually everything. put your spell, your spell, your, uh, yourself in perspective of reality. Yeah. You know, you really do. Yeah, so, and, and you and better so, edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> totally edit it out. Oh, I, yeah. I edit all my podcasts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, but no, uh, 
No, it is like um, you'll you'll start in the slow times. You'll start overanalyzing your life in different places, and sometimes it's a good thing to self-analyze. But sometimes, like it can self-destroy you too. Like you start worrying about, oh my wife, like what am I doing out here? Like I should really get home or that job. Like I'm not making any money right now. What am I doing? I haven't even seen a deer in two days. Like I gotta come on. I gotta go back, but. The the better way to think is like, man, this is my time away. I'm going to enjoy this. Like, I'm going to – how can I find a deer? Like, this is so cool. I'm not thinking about anything. But there's two different attitudes you have there where mentally, at least for me, like sometimes when I go out hunting, like – I got to make sure I take care of all my business, all my phone calls, and then make sure everybody knows I'm going to be gone and I'm and I'm gone for five days or three days yeah. or whatever it is. And it's tough to do, but I sure enjoy my trips a lot better when I'm like that instead of when you're at ease. Something. Exactly. You know, for me and my job, I take vacation. I don't I don't have to really look at it like that as far as like the family stuff. Yes, of course. But. My job, I take vacation. I don't have to worry about nothing. I come back and it's just everything, everything's the same. You know, for you owning your own business, you have to continuously monitor, make sure everything's flowing right. So it's it's definitely difficult in that aspect. Well, and even you having vacation time, you're having to cover for guys when you go yeah. when yep. when they go hunting, they're covering for you, and you're having to pay back and work extra days. Like yep. it it isn't easy for any of us. And and no. even me, I hunt a bunch and I hunted a ton this season. I had the best hunt season, but like it's still it's chaos for me. And I've I've just got to handle things in real time. Like I can yep. handle situations. I try to line the, out my hunting season the, so best scenario for the whole outlook of everything we do is if you could hunt for a living you'd stay home for eight months and just be gone for like four <laughs> you know yeah. instead i work for you know the whole time yeah. and even through hunting season yeah. but you know i've had a lot of time this year but yeah i come back and i handle things and i make sure you know things are taken care of and do as much as you can like you say support is a big deal you know that sure helps out but man i you know, I just try to take care of it and try to try to be stress free. And you know, you got the days you got, and enjoy them while you're out there and exactly. go for it hard. And the biggest thing with you know being able to do what you do, you also have to give back. And you know, at the end, you know, yeah, you, you also have to, you know, give back to the family. It's in a the give and take. Like, yeah, you know, you're gone for two or three months, but in the off time, you you know, that's yeah. where you have to step it up and you know do what you have to do as yeah. a. Well, and there's some there's some days and there's some weekends where yeah. you just can't go and you have. You know to what know I that. figured out? I just get my wife really, really mad at me come August. Like <laughs> I, I just work her over, like you know, get her really mad at me, and by like August fifteenth, she's like, "Get the hell out of the house!" <laughs> so no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah, I. My wife's usually tired of me being around by then too. Yeah, you know, you know it's around, kind of a I've been around you know? too much. She's probably ready for a break too. I really um, settle in come June, July, August, and then she's like, get get out. Yeah, it is awesome to have no. the time, though. Just to have the time, like, that's the key to success. And, you know, you can you can make do on limited time, and a lot of times I take my week mule deer hunting, and then I'm a weekend warrior and maybe stick a, a Friday or a Monday on, on top of a weekend. But yeah. other than that, you I, know. I would consider myself as a weekend warrior. Yeah, I always I do. have I mean, I, I get vacation and stuff during, like, a couple weeks during September and a week during the rut and stuff, but... You know, I classify myself as a weekend warrior, but it, all my days off, and, and I push this through, you know, wolf hunting and all the way through bear season, you know. So sure. get a lot of time to hunt, but, you know, I hunt on my days off. It's just the way it is. 
Yeah, that's that's working class. That's us. I hey, know yeah. it. That's been me my Gotta whole life. Got to work for a living. I just keep trying to structure my life so I get more time and more adventures during hunting season. But, you know, you you also, like, you can't cut everything else short in your life, too. Nope. You, there's got to be balance it's there. It's an equal balance. I, I keep uh, moving the goal line and just keep planning more adventures and just more days, come back and break, take care of things, more days, come back yep. and break. But, man, I mean, I mean. That's, that's what life's all about is doing what you love to do and your passion, you know, and I like to work hard and uh, I like to support the family and that's, that's truly is my passion, but yeah, God, I sure. love chasing things with my bow. It's, yeah, it's, no, I'm, I'm, I'm right there sure. with you. Yeah, I'm right? right there with you. I mean, yeah. carrying a bow is like everything. Yeah. Getting close is just so difficult. Like I could walk my bow down the trail. Like my wife could go to the mall and shop for 10 hours. Mm-hmm. It's just, that's the way it is. Yeah. And be happy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, get to the mountains is so nice. Yep, for sure. Yep, fun to go do it. Um and and you you try to enjoy things all season long. You do a ton of wolf hunting. You've been really successful at that. Like that's a tough endeavor as well. I think we talked about it on the last podcast, but you've done really well up there finding wolves. Yeah, you know, wolves are tough. They're they're really tough. I've heard that. I've got a couple buddies that hunt them hard. God, I just haven't dove into it yet, and you really know, I, gone I probably for it. get maybe one or two opportunities a year that I actually see them, and I'm, I probably spend three or four times as much time hunting them as I do any other species. So you have thirty to fifty days in to see that many sightings. At least fifty days before I see one. Oh, or I could go out and see one in a day. You just never know. Gosh, but it's it sounds it, like it usually works out like an average of. 35, 40 to 50 days before I see one. Oh, that's I'll hear crazy. them like every now and again, but. So you know you're in them. Yeah, I'm, I'm in them, but. See tracks. Yeah, and... it's the, half the time the snow is waist deep and, you know, they're just running around like oh, wild gazelles on top of it and you're <laughs> dragging snow with so your snowshoes. So their pads are so big that they stick on top of the snow when they run like they've yeah, got snowshoes. Exactly. And they, you know, they're lighter for their size and for their size of their pads. And so they float on top where we sink down through and, and exactly. also moose sink down through and elk sink down through. And that's why a lot of those wolves get those, those critters in the deep snow. So you think of an average wolf, um, it's probably around 80 to a hundred pounds. The one I killed last year, the black one was 105, which is giant. It was probably one of the biggest ones, uh, around for a while. The taxidermy, my taxidermy says it's, pro- it's the biggest one he's a seen. Big old male, big old alpha male. Anyway, it was that black one. Yep. Oh, 105 wow. pounds weighed out. Um, they, they don't get much bigger than that around where we are. But the thing about it is, so if you think of an average wolf at 85 pounds ish, somewhere in there. So you, you divide that by four and they got snowshoes on their feet, right? So it doesn't take much. It's what? 20, 20 pounds yeah. per foot. And an elk 700 with hooves. Yeah, that sink exactly. Down through. So, so that's why they stay on top. It's like yeah. a, it's like a mountain lion. Makes sense. A mountain lion can walk on powder and, maybe sink three or four inches because they're they're super lightweight they got big feet mm-hmm. and the weight's dispersed between all four feet yeah you know so like where we're post holing it one all our weight on one foot all our weight on the other foot they get three oh. to the one you know yeah, makes sense so let's say they just, they just cruise right across it yep oh that's wild yeah, those things are so difficult to see so many days. That's crazy. Like, it reminds me of bear season, like, because you can go, 
you know, six, eight, ten days without seeing one, and then all of a sudden you're into them. But that uh, that's even crazier when you're 30-plus days into seeing a wolf. Yeah, you know, I absolutely love hunting wolves. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it late is, winter, nobody out. You go cruise on snow machines, skis, I'll go or 30, how do you do Yeah, 30, 40 miles back in snow machines usually. Um, broke down a couple of times this year. Had to get pulled out one of the two times. Um, Jimmy rigged snowcat <laughs> the first time uh played mechanic huh? yeah exactly you know i, I had what i had and uh, i made it out 40 miles about five mile an hour uh messed the cat up a little bit but you know what i made it back to the rig but, oh, man. but got that fixed took it out the next time but it, in the process of that it, it the bearing busted the chain case a little bit so the chain snapped on the way out the, the, the last time and then after that it was pulled out so luckily i had service Either that or I was walking out. So, but you know what? That's 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 what you got to do. You know. Oh man, I like I just it, it's constant with your gear, and you put it through such abuse, you know. And so we're hunting in the brakes, and yeah, I bust my bike like a, we're totally, and we're the farthest point from where we've been. Rode all the way down this deal, and then all of a sudden, like bust the gear shifter off my bike, just like the perfect storm. Just get a stick in there, and you know we're on a a double track trail, but it you know it just catch it just right and catches in the chain and just bust that thing all the pieces like no fixing it. Oh yeah. Like and, and then you're back in there miles and miles and miles and like just like it, you know it wasn't like a snow machine or super cold, but you know it's a bike and you're trying to get on bulls and now just all your stuff's broke down you're just breaking everything you own yeah you know and so it's, uh, now you just know, gotta walk that thing out and i'm just trying to get it jerry rigged to the side of my bike so i can like coast out hills any downhill yeah of course it's almost all uphill but any downhill i can just coast and then my chain's getting stuck up and my back tire's getting stuck and just like i trash that thing trying to get it out of there but Man, gear just breaks down. It does. You I've, know. I've blown up transmissions in my truck trying to get across mud and snow yeah. drifts. And yeah. like, oh, man, like um, just uh, a hunter is brutal on gear, isn't it, he? It's the ultimate test. If you want to <laughs> test something, throw it in the hunting hand. <laughs> yeah. You know? Right. Let me use it for a week. Let, Let me, me use it for a week. And up. I truly believe that in my boots as well, you know, because we, we put so many miles on our boots. And you know what? If you have a boot and you trust in it and it really works for you, it's awesome. Oh, you man. Know? Oh, to have any piece of gear that works for you is awesome. It's exactly. like this trial and error. Figuring out what you like, too. Everybody has different preferences. Just exactly. On, yeah. on gear from top to bottom. Yep. And, you know, I love wearing uh, waterproof tennis shoes. It's just my favorite with little lightweight gaiters. Don't get anything in your socks. And tennis shoes that's are awesome killer. in oh, the early man. season. Oh, man. And even Brutal the early- in the late season in the snow <laughs> yeah dude i'll just strap gators on those I things know. and go for my it my buddy sean is the same exact way <laughs> I, he he goes up on the top of the mountain and we're in waist deep snow and he's got tennis shoes on blue jeans and a pack i'm like what are you doing you're, you're gonna die up here he's like, i'll be good dude so speak- by the end of the day his 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 blue jeans are completely wet frozen solid like he can't even bend them they're like breaking I'm like, bro, you got to you oh, get some gear. He's yeah. like, ah, this is functional gear for sure. <laughs> like I, I'm, I'm tennis shoe tested and I'll wear bigger gaiters and I can keep my feet dry. And that's the key to keeping my feet warm. And like, I've got a whole system and I trail run a bunch of strong ankles, but I do like, like a mid height lightweight boot too. I'll run that as well. But 
Um, do you like speaking of dying? Like, uh, it reminded me of that story that you were telling me last night when we were coming home. So you've told me this a couple times, like when we talked on the phone, maybe. And then last night you go, dude, I think I met you. And it's up in this gnarliest mountain range yeah. in Montana. And I'm yeah. like, no, I, I don't think so. No, I don't remember it or whatever. And then, and then you said, yeah. Dude, I met you and you you patted your side and said you had eight ounces of water. Like yeah, so it? so here's what here's how it went. We're so we're miles up in the, back in there, miles right? back in the high country, you know. And, and I'm not used to seeing people back here. And Me neither. I'm not a name person. I I could shake your hand and and most of the time I forget names. You know, it's just it's how I roll. And anyway. this has got to be six years ago or so. Six seven years ago. Yeah. But I'm really good with faces, and I'm like, I know I've seen you somewhere, you know prior to us, you know, hanging out and stuff. But I'm just like, I know I seen you on the mountain somewhere. It had to have been. And so this is how the story went down. I met you up there and we were hiking. It was hot. It was like 90 degrees out. And we ran into you and you're just like, yeah, I seen a pretty good buck over here. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to run up and see if I can't put a stock on it and kiss the top. Yeah. Right? I kissed the top. And I told you that and you're like, <laughs> so yeah, that might've been me. And I said, yeah. And you also said that you had eight ounces of water in your pocket. <laughs> and I looked at you and I said, I know exactly what I said. I remember it like it was yesterday. I was like, are you a freaking camel? <laughs> and I was like, what are you doing? Eight ounces of water. Like who does that? Yeah. You said, uh, you, and, and cause I was. didn't have a pack. I didn't have anything on me. No and pack. I was up there in the middle of nowhere and we just ran into each other up yeah. there and we're on the same hillside miles back. And I, I go, I remember I just, asking you, I remember I just asking told I was, you my play. I'm yeah. like, Oh, I'm moving up on a buck up here. I'm going to kiss the top and sit up there and see if he comes out tonight. And yeah. Told you what I had seen for the day or whatever. And then, um, you go, dude, you got any water up here? And then I, I, I pat my little side pocket because I've got no pack, no nothing. Pat my side pocket and go, yeah, I got eight ounces. I'll be fine. And you looked at me like I was crazy. You said you yeah, had three liters of water. Yeah, I looked at my buddy. I was water. like, this guy's a fucking camel. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Yeah, so I it, know. it brought back memories, and all of a sudden I could recall the encounter, and I know the exact hillside it is. It's, and then it's you crazy go, how that Dude, happened. it was in there. And I, so, yeah, that was that was pretty funny. That's how we met in that, that backcountry wilderness Initially, yeah. Uh, <laughs> we didn't even know each other back then, uh -uh. you know? It was, it's uh, awesome. I went up there and i sat that night and i'd seen this buck and he had like a uh, split g4s on him yeah you know just a bomber probably buck. seen the same buck yeah I, probably yeah and so there's sat some, up there for him that night that yeah and uh he never came out that night yeah yeah Good gave stuff. me the slip yeah oh, oh that's man, usually oh, man. what happens yeah muley hunting yeah and in that spot those muleys are tough to hunt tougher than in other mountain ranges that i've hunted really? like one of the toughest ones like in even in the early season like you can watch those bucks but they bed in such thick cover where you can't see the exact spot where they bed so my biggest buck my big buck came from that general area mm -hmm. not right there but in that condition mm -hmm. you know that's that's basically what it was mm -hmm. tough hunting up there oh man is it ever? yeah yep for sure no i know it yeah, I know. That's that's pretty wild. We hunt the, the same mountain range up and there. And we're like, what, six hours apart and just uh, happen to run into each other? A million miles, in the, two I mean, lifetimes uh, apart. I do, can't even believe you're here hunting and we ran into each other in that mountain range. Yeah. That's nuts. And like you say, you don't see anybody in that mountain Pick range. Pick a spot on the map and we both go there <laughs> in this wilderness out here. <laughs> you know? Oh, it's wild, man. Yeah, it's, it's, that's awesome. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I finally, when you said that that comment last night, oh, yeah, kiss the top. I was like, huh, You're like, yeah, I'm going like to go up me. here and kiss the top. And <laughs> yeah. I was like, I looked at you and, uh, like, seriously, I looked at you and I was like, do you have any water? And you're like, yeah, I got eight ounces in my pocket. <laughs> you your side. I was like, 
I looked at my buddy and I was like, this guy's a camel. Yeah. And then like, you told him after I left yeah, that I was, was like, going to die up yeah. there, right? I told him I were like, we went up over the top and went to the next basin over. And I was like, I'm worried about that guy back there because I'm pretty sure when we get back, he's going to die up here. <laughs> if he doesn't have any water or no pack or nothing. You know, I'm sure he had a pack back at base camp, but, yeah. you know. Oh, yeah. You, your mind huh. starts wondering, you know, oh, like, yeah. what the hell is going on? Because I've oh. actually pulled people off that mountain I've, before. I've worried about people that it's I've ran into before. There. Yep. Yeah. I ran into people and, like, man, that was a gnarly lightning I've storm. Had, yep. I've I, actually had to help a couple people off oh, there. Oh, no kidding? Yeah, like completely done. Oh, man. Yeah. From the other side. They came up over from the other side. I hit my mic with my cup. Yeah. <laughs> that's not right. good. Yeah, right. Uh no, that's wild, man. Uh, yeah, to actually help people in there. I know I'm always looking out, too. When you run into a fellow hunter, like, you got to look out for him. You yeah, run you into never him. Know, you you know, know he's in there by himself or with another guy. Especially when he's got eight ounces of water in his pocket. <laughs> I know. He might die up there. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. That's crazy. No, yeah. That's an awesome story. That's that's like you had to be in there, you know? Oh, you did. That was wild. Good bucks in there, though. Oh, in in such a small place on planet Earth. I mean, we're talking miles off trail, and you could get lost and be 20 yards away from me in that country, and I'd never see you in there. Yeah. Like, to actually meet on the same GPS point up there in the yeah. middle of nowhere is pretty wild. But, yeah, you run into other guys. I've ran into guys and had random stuff happen. I ran into this guy in Colorado, and we we got to hike through a unit to get to our unit or at least this spot I've been hunting lately up there in Colorado. And so we're hiking through and I run into this guy and run into him on the saddle. Of course, I've been glassing the whole way, even though it's not my unit. Like I'm a muley guy. Like I got, you're always looking. And so I had this, this bomber buck spotted on this hillside. So I run into this guy and I go, Oh, Hey, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm Brian Barney. He said, you know, and, and, uh, he had read some of my articles or something, or, you know, said that he had read my writing and, and um, Or maybe he didn't say that. I think I got that later in the email. I'm screwing up the story. And so we talked up there on the hillside, and I said, oh, yeah. I said, you know, we're headed back and off over in there. I said, you got a tag for this unit? He said, yeah. And I said, man, I see a bomber buck, and he's over off this face and off this deal. And so explain it to him. And so then we take off, and he takes off. Well, like six months later, I get this email from this guy, and he's like, I met you on this pass. He said, I had read your writing and recognized you. I didn't say anything up there, you know, and he said, you know, I would, to tell you the truth, I was out of breath when I got to the top of some story, you know, and it was this yeah. great email. And then he had killed this bomber buck over off that face, like three days later or whatever, killed this bomber buck, sent me a picture of it. And, uh, it, it was just such a cool deal, but it's wild who you run into in the yeah, mountains. Yeah, you know, I ran into a lot of people up there. You know, most and, guys are really good, aren't they? Yeah, respectful. You yep. know, and you kind of work out where you're headed and where he's headed. You know and what? Stay out it, of his it, way. It, and, in the directions that we go, you know, in the areas we are, when you run into somebody, they're pretty much exactly like you. You know, they're th that same person mm -hmm. almost. You know, because it there's not many people that do that. You know, not many people venture off trail and just go for it. You know hike over the other side i'll come out and no man's land whatever but yeah same thing i mean you run into them completely respectful for mm -hmm. sure i mean it's just you're sharing the same dream they're doing the exact same thing mm -hmm. you know for you to tell that guy you know a big buck over here in his unit he was probably on cloud nine that's awesome i think that's great mm-hmm yeah, he had been in there scouting and working hard and had a bunch of days and hunted hard and finally harvested. You know, I don't even know if it was that buck or another buck, yeah. but it was just a bomber heavy buck. And it was like, man, good for you. You earned Up it back Up at the top, he was probably yeah. completely beat, you know, yeah. and it just gave him a little bit more drive to, you know, after you said and talked to him. 
He was probably like, okay, I'm focused now. And that could have led to his success. You know, you never know. And you, you got to control your, your mental psyche too. When you see guys, when you see foot tracks, when you run into guys, like it's easy to let your mind wander and go, oh, there's guys in here. Like, oh, I hate pressure. Like it, it's over. I'm not going to find anything. They walk through there. Like, you know, at that point in time, I mean, it's hard not to be a little disappointed. And even me, you know, you're a little disappointed when you get back to your A spot and you see guys. But it's just, it's part of the challenge of public land it hunting. Is. And you it's know, like, like, you respect the guy and go, okay, you know, you just come up with a different game plan. He's over here. I got to find where the humans are. And even in Idaho this year, like I ran into guys in that extreme backcountry back in there. But I finally just found this drainage where I spotted the bucks, where nobody was playing, where it was isolated. I had a ridge I could hunt down. I had a bunch of different options, and nobody was doing it because you had to drop off these steep, gnarly cliffs. I about killed my buddy on, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not good. Yeah, but uh, uh, no, it it just got a little steep and a little gnarly, but yeah, we were able to get down it. Yeah, just uh, steep as uh, character. Oh man! Well, you start down and you can see trees down there, and you're like, "Oh, I can make it down there. I can traverse that." And then you get to the trees, and then it drops off and gets even steeper in shale. And just the more you start down, the steeper it gets, oh, and pretty yeah. soon you're just scaling you it. You know, and you're going down a hill, and you, you, if if you can't put your head back and touch the ground on the opposite side, on the back side, that's home for sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. It, oh. it, if you're not on all fours at all given times on some of that stuff, then. Oh, man, especially that mountain range that we're talking about that we met in. I've been cliffed out more in that mountain range than it any place in my life. It is up there. Oh, my gosh. So you go up a drainage, and you fight your way through the brush, and you get up there above timberline, and then there's there's timber pockets, but there's these ribbon cliffs everywhere, and everything goes to 70-degree-plus slopes. Like, even the grass slopes will scare you in places Yeah, like that. Yeah. And you can't traverse basins like you get cliffed out. Like you want to get from one drainage to the next, and you can't. You got to hike can't. all the way out and back it's, in. It's miles so around in you, some spots. You pick a drainage and you kind of learn how to roll around and learn how to roll through country. But man, I've had to like drop my pack or lower my pack with my my paracord and climb down a tree next to the cliff. Yeah, I've had like three approaches to make it up one north facing slope just to see the backside and make and it up there. Even when you said that, you know, there's there's like tips and tacks to that kind of structure as well um deer know where they're you know they know where they're at 100 percent of the time so if you can get on a trail or see a track like if you get sketched out like um in a cliffy basin and you see an animal track just follow that track that track's gonna lead oh, yeah. it's gonna lead right exactly where you need to be you might search for an hour or two to try to get around a mountain but kind of paying attention to the details if you see a track of some sort a, a big game animal track like a bear or, you know whatever it be elk deer follow it you know it's game it, trail it, yeah game trail anything yep. it's gonna go exactly where you need it to go and it might put you in the position to successfully get your hunt done oh yeah just navigate that steep country yeah or any country like you they, say that... they know exactly where the trails are and what you, they can get up yeah. and what they can't so they that's you... what i'm saying so if you get into a steep spot Look down at the ground. You know, there's always dirt there. If you see deer tracks, then follow them. If you don't see deer tracks, back out and get out of there because you're in the wrong spot. Game trails just lead you across and lead you the the easiest route through country. Yeah. They, they know how to travel through country. They've been doing it for, for thousands of years and evolving to move through yeah. trips through country through saddles ridge lines trails the easiest way through country is the way they pick where, and so if you follow that like you find your way through where they live and you spot them 
It's like us walking through our kitchen to go to the fridge. Mm -hmm. They know it. Okay, so total secret time here. Another one of my tips that I use, <laughs> like, like this is total backcountry secret for finding mule deer. Like a lot of times if you look in those backcountry spots, you can see trails that are worn in on Google Earth, that are worn in these basins and these drainages that will have mule deer populations. A million times I've done that. <laughs> right, right. A million. Uh, dude, total. If, if I'm going into a new area, I will definitely look at Google Earth. Mm-hmm. If there's trails there, I'll hit it. If there's not, garbage. Yeah. Or not garbage, but. Well, sometimes you can't see them. Sometimes the angle of Google Earth doesn't show them, but sometimes the lighting is just right. I think you it look should be illegal. There. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I really do. Yeah. It, it's actually, I mean, you if you put your homework into it, um, you can really find out it's, some good it's spots. It's got to be the right picture, but sometimes it can be cattle trails. It can be elk trails. Yeah, it, it depends can be on where you're at. Sheep or goat trails. Like you've got to key into the we right country. Yeah, and we don't see. have cattle or sheep up where we live. No. So any trail that makes that trail, it's but strictly But man, I game. see them on national forests in Colorado, yeah. like 12,000 foot up there in the yeah. wet spots, like maybe 11.5, but – yeah, I mean, so you got to know what trails you're looking for, but exactly. yeah, sometimes with the right lighting on that Google Earth, it is cheating. Like it's you can cheating, for you sure. can see a bunch of trails going through there and 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 just no deer are working that type of country and so yeah, I mean, I I am always looking for trails. I'm always looking for sign, always looking for, you know, how they're traveling through countries. So, it's a huge scouting tool for me and and also I'll glass for it too. Um, you know, as I sit on a vantage point and I start glassing around, I'm, I'm paying attention to game trails I'm seeing on the, on the opposite slopes and I'm following like, where are those things headed? Like, are those headed to a feeding feature or are those headed to a, a, a piece of cover or the, you know, where are those trails leading to and, and, and where are they moving across the hillside? And if there's game trails, there's got to be game animals. Now, you know, what is it making those trails? Is it a, you know, elk, is it deer or is it a combination of, and, and those deer can just live higher up on the mountain, it seems like, than elk. They can they can winter higher up there. The the deer can can summer higher up there. They don't need as much water as an elk needs. Like an elk needs water, you know, once or twice a day. Where a mule deer can get that that water content like out of his out of his feed that he has, out of the dew of the grass, or you know, maybe he's got a high mountain seat, but um, you know, Keying, keying into that, like the those deer can live higher on the mountain than the elk can live, um, you know, as a general rule, and, and, and also winter higher. But, I mean, elk can live up high in that early season, but then they just tend to come down and rut down lower, like in those those aspen draws and exactly. things. They just yeah. love that country. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's just a riot just to spend time out there, but, you know, it's it it isn't easy to survive and it's always tougher than you think the hunting conditions and also just the surviving back in that country you know and and good companies like all these you know companies out here today they've made it so much easier to survive in those conditions i mean of course you want you know back country experience when you go i mean i wouldn't just recommend you go you know grabbing some gear and just going in the back country if you're not familiar with it but you should also have the same mindset as if you do get in trouble back there, you have a, the means to, you know, to survive. Like means and the knowledge. The knowledge, the means, the like, can you get food? Can you get water? I mean, that's, those and shelter. Mm -hmm. Three biggest things. It can get, you can you do that without your gear? 
you know, and that's kind of, I mean, don't put yourself in a position where you're going to go back there, you know, and, you know, if you get hurt or run out of water, or run out of food, don't, don't put yourself in that position if you're not capable of you're just getting naked yourself and out. afraid out yeah you've got to be naked and you're gonna be afraid <laughs> <laughs> no sure. no you're totally right you gotta you, know? you gotta rely on your knowledge and in in carrying the right gear like uh like waterproof matches with you yeah. always carrying a lighter yeah. you know just always being prepared for those situations and scenarios and like it's all fun and games and you hunt hard and but all of a sudden you'll get in a rainstorm that'll just soak you yeah and, and all of a sudden it becomes a serious situation where you yep. got to make the right calls to do to your keep yourself safe and you know same thing with lightning same thing with you know grizzlies like things get serious real quick and you gotta you gotta be able to handle yeah, those situations for, so they're definitely on another page oh man <laughs> those things yeah <laughs> for sure you guys have them we have them we've yep. had a couple attacks around here this year like yeah they're a serious deal you gotta look out for them yeah. and be prepared for them and i just ran into a giant last week did you yeah 100 yards down the road like coming right at me, I was like, "Should I get my camera out or should I just back out?" Closed road, you were yeah, walking down. down a road, grassy road, just like completely closed for probably ten years, and uh, come around a corner and seen this giant, probably one of the biggest bears I've ever seen, and he was coming at me. Didn't know I was there. I spotted him first, and I'm like, "You know what? I could videotape this thing, but it could be a situation where it's not good, right?" So I, I didn't even think about it. I backed out. And I went back down the road a quarter mile on a straight stretch. I figured, you know, he's either going to track me down or he's going to smell my scent where I just walked, like we talked about, and bail. So I waited there 15, 20 minutes, and he never came around the corner. But he was walking right at I think he smelled my trail and completely bailed, which is good. You don't want the bears that track you down. I wanted to see if he was going to track me. Good behaving bear, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Usually 99% of the time they're going to – a single bear like that, he's going to – yeah. Even almost 99.9% of the time, if it's a single male bear or any female bear without cubs, he's or he or she is going to walk the other way, completely get out of there. They want no conflict. They want to they want to the, get away from you. The thing the thing about it is for bear maulings is the cubs. If you run into a bear with cubs, you're in trouble. Yep. It's they're only they're they're doing one thing. And there's a, a certain small percentage of bears that will attack for for whatever being, but it's very rare. Well, both of our attacks this year are carcasses, carcasses. which you know, yeah, food guarding a or carcass. young. Yeah, exactly. Those are the two exceptions, yeah. right? Yeah. Most of the bears are well behaved. Like my rule of thumb is, I always try to give them just just a wide berth, like give, give them, them a lot space. of room. And usually, yep. I see them a ways off. I've glassed them, or if I see them in a situation, like I don't yell at first. Like I try to back out of there and just get out of their way and let them do their deal. I notice when bears get ornery, and like you say. You know, the, the the majority of the time they go away from you, nine out of ten bears, but then you get the one out of ten. Almost and, always. And I think, um, like, like the deal is, is when you surprise them inside 100 yards, they have a fight or flight. They're, yep. they're either going to run from you or run at you, and if they got cubs or they got a carcass there, they're probably coming at you to guard them. So, and so when you're inside that, like I like to back out and give them space, exactly. wide berth, get around them, like not let them know exactly. I'm there. If you shout at them inside there, like they got to decide right then and there, are they going to run or are they going to attack? And you make them make that decision. Like I don't like that. I like to back out, give them their space. If they don't see you, back out. Yeah. 100% of the time. Right? Because – the worst thing you can do is startle a bear in its own element, of course. Inside that close range. Exactly. Yeah. They're 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 thinking on one thing. If 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 a if a guy goes into a place or a gal 
and they get scared what's going to happen. You're going to start striking, right? You're going you're gonna to fight, like completely go out of your element. You know, you're trying to defend yourself. So if you scare a bear and he doesn't know you're there, he's going to, like even a bear that would run if he knew you were there, he's going to try to fight. Like he's trying to protect himself. Mm-hmm. Same thing. Cubs and bears, don't mix. Stay away from those things 100%. <laughs> don't even go buy them. Don't look at them. Don't do nothing. I had the Hawaii boys. Bears and food, same thing. Protect on their food yeah. source. Don't go buy them. Yep. Those oh, are like the three rules. And when you're camping in the backcountry, never yeah. take shortcuts. Always hang up your food every night. Never yeah. eat in your tent. You know, it's because it's a food thing. You know, they're going to come in. They're hungry. You know, it, it's an, bears are opportunists. They'll eat whatever's along their path. And they also, just, they just do. That's also just how their I, nature is. When I'm camping in bear country, like I want to camp off the beaten trail. I don't want to camp on main game trails, which I made my Hawaiian buddy like we just had to find this spot, and it was on a trail. He, he was probably those guys were out, so huh? scared of bears. Oh yeah, they, they weren't scared. They did great. They, you know, once you get in this country, you get comfortable with it. You know, I tell them what the deal is. But I know before they were coming here, it's definitely a concern, and it should be. I mean, those things are dangerous, and Very we've had dangerous. a couple attacks this year. So, I mean, rightfully so. I shouldn't even laugh. But so we went in there, but I try to stay off game trails. I stay, I try to stay off ridge lines. I get in the thick cover. I get where bears don't travel at night. I've never had a bear get in my food bag. Uh, You know, you just got to go enjoy country, but keep your wits about you. I never have either. Yep. Never gotten into my food, never came into my camp ever. Just hundreds of nights in the wilderness. But I've ran into uh, hundreds of them, (laughs) you know. And and don't exclude black bears either. I mean, they're they're the same. I mean. Absolutely. uh, If if you run into a black bear and he doesn't run, you should be concerned. I take them serious. I've been charged by a grizzly and I've been charged by a black bear. Way more concerning than grizzlies. Yep. You know, same thing inside a hundred yards. They make that yep. choice. Guys get too comfortable around black bears, but man, those things got claws rip too. You apart. Yeah. One slice and they'll spill all your insides, you know, and those things are gnarly yeah. like a 300 pound linebacker coming at you, but now he can run twice as fast as he can run in the NFL. Instead of 15 miles an hour, a bear can charge at 30 miles an hour and then swiping sharp claws at you. Can you imagine that thing yeah. hitting you? And, and, the, and they say that they can't run downhill, but I got numerous numerous hours of video of them like completely full speed downhill and full speed yeah. uphill. Well, I don't want to be yeah. in front of one of those things. <laughs> I, I so, like don't, so don't them. believe the statistics on the uh, internet. Uh, part of dangerous game, but yeah. you got to be smart around them. I love hunting them, but the biggest thing is respect them. Oh yeah. Respect, respect them. Yeah. You know, and they'll respect you back. Yep. And, and you know, it, as many days as you hunt out there, you never know when your day's coming, when you're going to be tested. They're going to come at you. I've you been know? charged a few times by grizzlies, and it's I mean, not fun. Yeah. Been charged a couple times I've, for sure. Well, charged, been bluff around, charged. Been you around know, Had grizzlies. to back out. and been, you know, my buddy sprays himself in the face with bear spray. And Did he? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it accidentally touched it off, and it came back and hit him in the face, and then we're we're dealing with a guy that can't see. and oh, Yeah, it's, it's sketchy. But we made it up. Oh, did you? Like, I had one um, charge one time where we snuck up, got up there. We were just walking through, and I spotted a bear up in the tree, and I was with a buddy. And all of a sudden, like, before you could even react, that bear was sliding down the tree, jumped off the tree, and came at us. And and my buddy shot his pistol above it, like, up in the branches. Above it or at it, who knows, you know? Like, I don't know, bear charging, coming at full speed, like uh, life-threatened. Uh, yeah, he says sketchy. he shot above it. He shot above it. He definitely hit above it. So uh, hit this branch above it, 
And then mom gets up from behind, and that was a grizzly cub up in that tree, like a, a two-year-old, like a yeah. 150, 200-pounder. Getting ready to mom wean off. Mom got up and backed us out. And so yeah, it was pretty gnarly. Yeah, but mom you know, never... like, like I said, like I've been charged. Like it's more of a bluff charge, like not physically. like, But at 20 yards, like coming at you, like ripping stuff up. And you're like, what do you do? You got to back out or, you know. Yeah. You do your measures. Oh, and I've told I'm, this and, and I'm not going to I'm not going to let, you know, a bear just like completely jump on me. Luckily it was over the hill. We had time to back out and go around, but Sean on the other hand, well, I just made, named his name. He I touched the bear spray off, you know, and thermals were coming up the hill. Bear spray got in his face. Now he can't see, and I got a bear at 20 yards ripping stuff up with two cubs whining in the background. It was it was a messed up deal. We made it out of there. We hooked back with the trail on the way down. But yeah, it was sketchy. It's scary. It's like the ultimate adrenaline rush. Oh my gosh! It's I remember like when I got charged by that grizzly. Like when you fall asleep on your arm, or maybe today when we were waiting for antelope and your legs fell asleep. Like you know how you have pins and needles. Oh yeah. My whole body was doing that. Like no adrenaline rush I had ever gotten when that thing charged me and your life's in danger. It's just wild. It is. Yep. It and is. that bear spray, I've heard a lot of guys have been... It'll stop them. Have, I've heard it. It also, like, you spray yourself when you spray it, but I, you know, there's a study done in Alaska of all the bear attacks that have happened up there and whether the people had bear spray or a pistol, and the, the people that have had bear spray have never been killed, and there's been, you know, hands, quite a few deaths. Hands down, bear spray is the best way to go. Yep. I've heard and... And if if actually talked to people numerous times, have been charged, have actually shot them, like defensively, and bear spray basically, and I've seen it with my own hands, stops them there in their tracks. They'll they'll basically be running at you, and they hit that wall of bear spray, and they'll be running at you with their legs going in reverse. It's just it's it's mm. gnarly. I've never had to spray one. I had a buddy that sprayed one. I've had it out a bunch. <laughs> like a, I've gotten sprayed a hundred times by my buddy. Not a hundred <laughs> times, but like three times. We'll be hunting, and you know, <laughs> here's an incident. You know, he actually has a a bear stick. He invented like he's been sprayed so many times, and he invents this bear stick, walking stick. It's in process right now. It's pretty cool. It's a it's a walking pole. It has a bear spray in the bottom. You just deactivate it, and bam, it's pretty cool. Oh, quick access to it. Yeah, it's spray just it out. it's a hiking stick, though. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, he's, oh, that's he, a cool idea. He's got a patent on it right now. It's pretty. Oh my cool. gosh, you're gonna get sprayed a million times more <laughs> with that thing. But I've been sprayed so many times. But like, he's like, you know, he gets in his car, and he, the last time he gets in his car, and he he touches the somehow his like the sheath came off the end, and he touched it on the side of his car. I'm getting my bow out on the other side. It was a little Subaru and completely shoots straight across and sprays me right, like not directly like stream, but all the mist goes right in my face and my eyes are burning, right? Like that stuff was gnarly. And it sprays him in the face and he's like, oh my God, I got it in my eyes. And all we had was Gatorade at the time. He's like, spray my, so I'm dumping Gatorade on his face. <laughs> <laughs> it was gnarly. And I'm I'm trying to breathe, you know, at the same time, you know, I had luckily closed my eyes and I inhaled it, but it's just, it, it's one of those things that'll take your breath away. It's intense and it surrounds the, yeah. like everywhere around you. Yeah, like so even though the spray doesn't get you, like, yeah, just, like the mist gets you. Yep. I had a buddy that had one frozen his truck oh. and 
blew up on the inside of his truck, and for a week straight, he was pepper sprayed in his if truck. If you like, touch that stuff and out. rub it on your face, oh, yeah. it's gnarly. <laughs> yeah, but it is the best way to stop bears. Exactly. It is a good way to go. Yeah, it, it might it may not be good with the wind blowing in your face, but it's a guarantee they're not going to jump on you. Mm-hmm. Because at some point, it's going to catch you. Keep spraying. Yep. That Todd Orr that got attacked over here last year, he sprayed that bear, and a lot of times they run through the mist. It ran through the mist. Still got him and attacked him good, and then got him a second time. Really? Yeah. Crazy. Makes you think about it, especially when it's somebody you know, and it's on a trail that I've ran. I ran 25 times that summer and went up there hunting a few different times. I used to have my camp up there. Yeah. Yeah. My, my buddies sprayed them a couple times, you know, and, and, and I've been around it, and they generally go the other direction. I've physically sprayed a black bear because it wouldn't leave our camp, and it that thing took off like a freight train. Okay. It never came back. Oh, man. It's a way to go. Yeah, it didn't even come back. I it was like, but it was hanging around, you know. It was just like there. So, yeah, I carried a pistol, and then I went bear spray and bear spray only for years because it's light, and that's pretty much me. But I come come bear season now, like a uh, spring bear when I'm hunting them. Like I'm carrying a pistol. I got to make sure I come home to my family. And the like, thing about it is, a pistol's great, and nine chances out of ten, if a bear charges you, your adrenaline is going so so much. It, Chances are of you hitting and fatally killing it, it's very slim. And if, even if you do hit it, it's still it's still on you. You mm-hmm. know, bear spray is like a wall. It's like a brick wall. Mm-hmm. It sprays out in like a six, eight foot section. It only goes about twenty feet, if that. If the wind's 15. good, yeah, yeah. But it's it's a wall that protects you. Yeah, you know what I mean. It, it is a better system, but. Man, I don't know. A pistol loaded with fifteen hot with just I like, know. It's, you know it's like just that in the back of your mind tells loads, you like, just like man, and I can shoot that thing in high pressure situations. I've shot at a million bears and, and and elk and deer in that situation. Like I don't know, a ten mil just pointed at him, just yeah. pop, 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 pop. Like that thing ain't getting to me. Like I wouldn't think. Yeah, you <laughs> but, wouldn't think but so. But I don't they know. Do. They come quick. I know. Yeah. And I carry bear spray my, for uh, years. My but... brother-in-law's brother actually got charged up where I live just the same exact day that I ran into that bear we were talking about. Got his arm chewed on and couldn't get to his pistol fast enough. And his dad ended up getting that bear and taking it out. If his dad wouldn't have been there, it would have probably dad, been a fatality. Dad pulled his pistol and shot the bear off Shot the off bear him. three times, yep. Oh, my gosh. Yep, and that was yeah. just a couple weeks ago. Oh, my gosh. And like, it happens every year. You know, it doesn't happen to everybody, but, you know, I they're love, hungry. Yeah. Man, I mean, you just got to go for it. My buddy Ryan just killed a bull. and I mean, I just I, – I think of Ryan and I think of me and I think the way we go in this valley and, like, you just got to – you got to go for it and trust your trust your instincts, but those things are freaking scary. Like I can't help but have those things scare me. It's it's a giant monster running around the forest that can rip you to pieces. Like at any no point in time, no natural predators. Yeah, and you can't get your pistol out quick enough to stop that thing. Like I'd like to think I'm gonna see that thing first and I'm gonna get them. I've been charged a couple times and I've been around a ton of bears and I'm super comfortable, super comfortable in the woods. But you never know when your day is coming. When that monster, you're gonna come around the trail and it's there with the a couple thing about cubs. It is, just if comes you, on if you. you are in grizzly country, you better always have that in the back of your mind. It, yep. It's your, it, it's, it's your lifeline. It's part of taking care of yourself. Yeah, it's whether part it's of that. being knowledgeable about where you're at. Man, it ain't gonna be any funner when I get bit by a rattlesnake out in the prairie. <laughs> yeah, even that's though what there's I'm no thinking. grizzly bears. Like, I don't have rattlesnakes. I don't have rattlesnakes. Those things are just as scary. And oh man, they can get thick in spots where you My hear them rattling around. My son almost got around. bit last year that's on an animal saying. hunt, and it was the 
probably the most scariest thing besides getting charged by yeah. a grizzly bear. <laughs> I don't take him in those countries, but yeah. you know, it, it it's scary because that's life and death. Mm-hmm. I stepped over the snake. He was right behind me. He stepped over the snake and it bit at him. And he, good thing he's got really quick reflexes. He said it bit at him like it it was cold out. He it struck at him and he jumped to the side at the same time. He and he ran by me like a freaking freight train. Oh crazy! And I'm man. stalking an antelope and he's freaking out, screaming and crying. I'm like, he almost got bit. Almost got bit. And I was like, what are you doing? I'm like, what did you get bit by? There's a rattlesnake right there. I was like, there's not a rattlesnake there. I just walked over that same spot, and I'm looking at the ground. I walk back there. Big old six-foot rattlesnake coiled up. I walked right over top of it. My son almost stepped on it. Oh, my gosh. It didn't even rattle. Like, I literally walked right over top of it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, and, it, I mean, and it's just one of those things. Yeah, I mean, it's it's Rattlesnakes it's or grizzly bears. Yeah, but silent. <laughs> oh, but man, if it isn't that, it's lightning. Yeah. It's cold weather. Yeah. It's being wet. It's it's like these constant elements that test you to make sure you're on your game. But yeah, I mean, all of them. None of them are fun. I don't know which one's the best. I don't know which one's the worst. But you know, it's just constant challenges. It's uh, it's the backcountry. It's backcountry hunting, and and you feel so good when you conquer those, and you have all these great stories over the years of, of doing it. But you know. You got to make sure you're safe. Number one is to make sure you can come back and hunt another day. Steep cliffs, like uh, we talk mule deer hunting, yeah. like pushing your limits in cliffs, like that's you know super what? dangerous. It's super one dangerous. Spill. You know, like you said, it come back, hunt another day. But most importantly, your your family and your your kids that's they depend on it. You know, yeah. they you have to you have to be you know. Hunting's a hobby, and as much as, as as driven as you get to accomplish your goals and to push your limits, like it, you got to keep it all in check, and you got to be intelligent about it. Like you yeah. gotta you gotta come back to those woods to hunt another day, and you can't push it too far to to go get this chance at this this buck or this bull. Even though, you know, I, I definitely find that line. Yeah, you know what? High country, <laughs> high country will wreck people. Oh yeah, it will. It will. Yeah. It will totally wreck you if you're not, you know, prepared for it. So it's it's something that. I mean, same with lowland. I mean, if you're not prepared for it, you get elements, uh, rattlesnakes, you know, stuff like that. But Bow hunting will test you. Just it, yeah. It's an adventure. And and whether you admit it or not, like I know I've had easy hunts where I've had no stress or, you know, no danger, uh, uh, you know, other than, you know, you can get lost. You can get dehydrated. Things yep. can happen. Anything can happen. But you know, it seems like every hunt has definitely got challenges and whether yep. you're stranded with your truck or, you know, your truck can break down. I, I just, I hunt a lot out of a truck camp. Like I do a lot of wilderness hunts, but I also do a lot of truck hunts as it yeah. gets late in the season and I'll sleep in a tent, but I'll kind of travel with my truck. But even having like that extra gear in your truck to, yep. to fix a flat, having your spare, having everything set. Now I've got a battery jumper. Like I've made that mistake. Earlier this season, I didn't. My battery died, and we were stuck. If I would have been way up in the woods up in there, what do you do? So now I've got a, a, a jumper that so I here's So here's a tip for that aspect. So if you ever do that stuff, you always have to make sure at the end of the day, even if all else fails, you can get out. Like, okay, so you hike 20 miles back in. Like if you're super hardcore, you also have to have the mindset that you hike 20 miles back in, you have, you know, you're hiking 20 miles back out for sure. So you have to like really weigh out the odds. Like, you know what I mean? If this could happen, you know, always play your scenario. This could happen. It's probably not going to happen, but if it does, 
here's my backup. Always have a plan. Always have an executed plan to go out if you get in trouble. I always tell my don't wife, like, put I'll, yourself in trouble if yeah, you don't need me. I'll, I'll go run for help. Like, I'm just the endurance guy. Like, <laughs> yeah. A, well, we could be 35 but, miles. You know, I'll make it. But you know what was weird? It's like being in that Alaska wilderness when you're, you know, 100 air miles and so much tundra and five different rivers to cross the civilization. To actually looking at it and going, I don't think I can walk out of here. Like I, yeah. I think I got to build shelter and live the winter. If my float, if my plane doesn't come pick me up, like that's a wild exactly. feeling for so me. So here's have. a here's a scenario. So one of the only times I've ever been turned around in the fog has been in the easiest country I've ever hunted. Right. So there's roads probably four miles around every section of land that I'm hunting right now, and people down there, you know, like cruising up and down the roads, but. We were in a position, we were turned around, fog on, you know, everywhere. We didn't know what was what. It snowed, it rained on us while we were elk, elk, elk hunting in the morning hunt, and we had no idea where the road was. Super light hunt, super easy place. We knew exactly where everything was at, but got turned around. My buddy had his son with us. It got to the point where we were so cold, I couldn't even flick a lighter. You know, and I'm 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 grabbing at straws right now. Like I know, like okay, I'm gonna go down four miles and hit road e- e- anywhere I go off this mountain. But it's that certain element that puts you in that position at that time. You don't. You might not have two hours to get back down there. So don't. My. It's hard to explain. Don't like go out and it's like okay, I'm hunting here. You know, because. Mother Nature's crazy. It's it's it'll change at any time. We were stuck out there with nothing. You know, got to be ready for it. At yeah, all and times. it's a, it was a, it was a thing that we just went out there and we're like, okay, we're gonna go here and elk hunt here and here and here, and we're gonna go right back to the rig. But fog came in, everything came in. Yeah, the only time I've ever been turned around in my life, and it was a little four mile circle. Yeah, and the snow came in, and it was it was treacherous, not for me or my buddy, but for my buddy's son. You know. Yeah, which so, worries everybody in the yeah. group. It's a team. It's and a I'm party. trying to start a fire, and everything's wet. It just snowed six inches in about ten minutes. So tough to start yeah, a fire. Yeah, and that. you're just like even Ugh. with the lighter. Yep. No, it takes. Um, yeah, you, you got to be comfortable in those situations. But yeah, things get hairy. Always super be prepared. Quick. Yep. And uh, you never know when you're going to get tested. It can be on an easy hunt, and you can have a drencher come in and just get you soaking wet. Your tent can leak. Something can break down. Like that's you exactly can, what happened on that hunt. Yeah. We weren't even ready for it. It just yep. came in and bam. Mm-hmm. You leave one day without your rain jacket and all of a sudden you're soaking wet and you're 10 miles from your rig. And if you stop and just hang out, like you're hypothermia You bound. can't stop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like you but can't stop. That's a it's lot moving. of a keeping warm too is yeah, moving. You got like to move. It, if you stop, you're done. When it gets dangerous like that and spooky, you can't get a fire going, can't get warmed up, don't have a dry sleeping bag, like – all right, it's get out of here time. It's it's yeah. move mode. Like I'm in endurance mode, and I have to keep going because I got to keep going to keep warm right now. Everything I own is wet. Like I got to get the f out of here. <laughs> yeah, and there's kind of a a boundary for that too. You don't want to completely overdo yourself. You know, like if you you're completely lost, you don't want to just keep going and get more lost. But keep your keep your temperature up. You know, and don't just sit down and hunker down. You know, even if you're walking a 20 yard perimeter of about where you're at before you get your bearings, you know, things could happen six hours later where you know where you're at, mm-hmm. you know? So just, you know, 
it's it's tough out there in the real world. <laughs> yeah, it is. You never <laughs> you, know. You never know. Carry it can, GPS. It can get dicey extra quick. Extra batteries. It's, oh, it's a man. pound. <laughs> GPS, like all those little things. Like I've been lost. Like we went down to this spot out in the desert to go hunt horns like years ago. And we, we rode this four-wheeler way out in the middle of nowhere. Didn't know where we were at. And my buddy left his GPS in the four-wheeler as we went and wandered around for horns. And we spent half the night lost in the darkness trying to figure out which town. Didn't know where the hell you were at. (laughs) Oh, is that Du Bois? Is that, like, I remember, like, uh, and it it was just this quick mistake of leaving it and and then hiking out through this desert terrain. And night, things get weird. Fog, things get weird. And, yeah, I mean, man, I've been turned around. And having that GPS, there's sometimes in the... The country that I'm elk hunting now, where where you cross so much country and so many miles chasing a bull and you get done. And, and I had a night that fogged up or, you know, we couldn't see. It got dark. And I wouldn't have found the truck without a GPS. The and I would have had is, to light a fire. I would have survived. It isn't oh, that yeah. big a deal. Yep. I You know, it, I, I would have made it. But if I wouldn't have had a GPS, there's no way I would have found the truck. Yeah, the thing about it is a GPS weighs like a few ounces. You know, a couple of bear, uh, pairs of batteries weighs a few ounces. You know what? Always carry them yeah, because it's 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 a it it could be a life and death situation. You know, it could be, but mark your truck, mark your camp too. Like even uh, just it, take off and yeah. just don't mark a waypoint where your truck is or where even your camp with is. GPS today, you don't have to mark it. You, yeah, you here's can, the nearest road. Here's you can, where you're at. You can kind of navigate yeah. it. You know, but I've ran but, into that too. Like, oh man, I should have saved that point. Like, where yeah. was I in this deal? But but when you're, you're right, in the pitch you dark, navigate. you don't know where the hell you're yeah. at. Oh, for sure. That's real life. That's haunting. Man, that's yeah. part of the fun is not knowing where the heck you're at in the dark, trying to navigate up some drainage. Like, is Navigating that Du Bois? Creek is that, bottom. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's the worst. Going up and down creek bottoms as you think it'll be a shortcut never is. But, yeah, I mean, it's just navigating through country and always tough in the dark and, and always tough in the fog and just navigating backcountry. You just – um. Gosh, I I remember back in the day when you used to have to use maps, and I didn't have a GPS to start with, and you know, trying to use topo maps, and what you got to do is plot where you're at on the topo map, you know, and then figure out where you need to be and the easiest route to it. But there's an there's an absolute art to moving through country, and whether you're you're moving through you know uh, through a ridge line or through drainages or your ascent to the top or you know your descent to the bottom, like like there's always a best route to travel and you, and you travel game trails and you kind of learn your way through country but it it's wild when you follow somebody that spends a lot of time in the woods as they just move through country with this this ebb and flow like as they as they roll through you know and they just find the easiest way up drainages and across side hills and in and, and through basins and in ridge lines and man i mean that's what I live for. Like towards the end of the season, you start getting pretty good at it. You, you spend that much time and travel that many miles. You just, you, you learn how to, how to work through country. But I mean, man, it's all fun. It's just spending time in the outdoors. Yeah, just for going sure. for it. Yeah. You know, like you said, traveling through high country, you know, there's always going to be trails. Yep. Animals always know exactly where they're going. Yep. So if you hit an animal trail, it's going to follow either to water or a food source. Mm-hmm. It's just the way it is. Or a travel route. Mm-hmm. You know, there's like one, two, three. I mean, it's pretty basic. Mm-hmm. Man, that's it, too. Well, all right, man. I got to shut her down. So this is an all-time record for the podcast. Like, I think we're at 
two hours and 30 minutes. So people definitely got their money's worth. Like uh, talking hunting, that went by pretty we quick. We went by that quick, huh? Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah, clicked it off. One short break in the middle and um, go for it. But just a ton of great tips in there. Yeah. Uh, can't thank you enough for being on the podcast, coming and hanging out. Appreciate Super fun. you having me, for sure. Yeah. So we'll have to do another hunt together. Antelope has been epic. Got to plan another one. And can't thank you enough for, for coming down. And you were going to go filming, give up your antelope weekend to uh, go uh, filming. You know. So uh, it all worked out. Bull down. And Whether I'm filming or hunting, it's all the same to me. Yeah, for sure. All right. Thanks again, man. Appreciate it. All right. You bet. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Finally, <laughs> it, was a, it was a long episode, but a really good one. Uh, I just really enjoy this long form conversation and to sit down with with uh, such a, a talented and skilled hunter like Lucas. And then, you know, we just start talking hunting and, and whether I record or not, this is what me and Lucas would be doing. We'd be sitting around at night late and just start talking hunting and go back and forth. So the only difference is, is that I just put a microphone in front of us and then record the conversation. But uh, I really enjoyed that one. I thought there was a bunch of good info in there. It was a long one, so uh, hopefully you guys hung out, uh, hung with me till the end there. But uh, let me know what you think of the episode. Um, today's sponsor, again, was Yeti Coolers. Uh, thanks to those guys for sponsoring the podcast. Again, just game changers with their coolers, uh, how they just keep ice longer and uh, better built coolers. And, and uh, you buy one and you have it for life. Um, check out their, their Ramblers, Tumblers, um, uh, and, and then they're different size coolers. I think I'm going to get a different size for like my boat, um, like a smaller lunch size, you know, where I don't have to have the big one with me all the time, but, um, just, just an awesome company with awesome products. So thanks to Yeti for sponsoring the podcast. And, uh, then just make sure to check out that Eastman's gear guide. I'm going to get hooked up with, uh, some of the Eastman's guys here. I released one last week with Scott Reekers and, and uh, one with Todd Helms a couple weeks before that. So going to get with these Eastman's guys, uh, catch up with Guy Eastman and, and then Ike Eastman. I, I always like having Ike on. He's such a, a good guy and a, a fun guy to hang out with and talk to. So going to hook up with those guys and get some podcasts out. Uh, make sure to check out that promo deal. Um, buy three subscriptions for family members or friends. Give them away as gifts. And then you get a $120 Sitka hoodie and a $40 Outdoor Edge knife kit. So basically the subscriptions are um, cheaper than if you would buy the Sitka hoodie and the Outdoor Edge kit. Plus you get to get a giveaway three gifts and, and uh, get that taken care of for Christmas. So uh, make sure to check out that deal. And... Uh, with that season just uh, winding down, I just got back from that Ohio whitetail trip. Before that was Montana mule deer trip in the rut, which is just an epic trip. Um, only one I got left on the books starts out in 2018 to go for coos deer. So um, winding down, what an awesome season. Just so many great hunts with family and friends and for myself. So many great adventures and um. I, I just, I am so hungry for it. I so want to work so hard and have 2018 be my best season. I just want to chase some some giant mule deer. Um, there's some tags that I'm going after. And so, you know, here again, the research starts and the hard work starts, and I'm just willing to put it in. I want to be in the absolute best shape I can be in, um, do so much map and, and uh, scouting work to really find some good locations and just get into some epic hunting, be able to hold off for those older age class deer or those monsters that I'm looking for. But I am so excited for 2018. So the work begins. I'm going to set up a bow today. Um, I got a, got the new Matthews, which I'm super psyched about. 
Um, so we're going to set up that bow today and be shooting every single day. I won't miss a day and then um, be running like a madman. I want to I want to be in the best shape I can be. And then also a lot of core work too. Uh, I'll finish up this this ending on this podcast, get this thing released. And then, yeah, you can you can guarantee I'll be on the pull up bar and be out on the trails today. Um, I just want to continue to work hard to see that success and see even more success. So uh, I can't wait for 2018, uh, starting to get into tag season where you start to get excited about all the hunts you're going to put in for and the, the possibilities of maybe drawing like a sheep tag or um, drawing a moose tag or, or just start to plan out these hunts and adventures. So man, just such an awesome time of year. Uh, thanks you guys for the support. Um, we'll talk at you soon. Check in with you next week.